the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, here we come. The Dave Ellswick Show is on the air, crushing everything that stands in its way, and at least trying to. Unfortunately for the audience, Dave is not with us today, and I think he's mentioned this on the air, so I'm probably not telling tales out of school. But His lovely wife, Linda, had a most unfortunate accident and suffered an injury that required surgery today. So naturally, our good friend Dave has decided to make his number one priority the number one person in his life, as you or I would have done. And so we're going to have to soldier on without Dave, at least for right now. Uh, this is Carl Kimball. I've sat in for Dave a few times before. I, I know some of you guys out there, and maybe a few of you know me. I'm the insurance agent at Chanel Insurance, one of them. And uh, I have had the pleasure of being friends with Dave the last 18 years and worked on some political stuff with him back in the past when I was younger and spryer and more active. And was lucky enough that Dave called on me to sit in for him today, and I am extremely fortunate to have with me a very abbreviated panel, but an outstanding <laughs> panel nonetheless. Paul Calvert, who's a regular guest on the show on Tuesdays, has graciously joined us today. Hi, so, Paul. How's hey, it going? I'm good. I guess for now, I'm the panel of one. You are my favorite choice of a panel of one. <laughs> And I've always enjoyed when we've had a chance to visit on the radio, especially because you're the one guy I think I know in Little Rock who may be more libertarian than I am. Well. And uh, I'm, I, I just love the, uh, I love the power of the conviction and determination to stand up for freedom and individual rights. That's the kind of thing our country was founded on. It was great Americans who believed in and were willing to stand up for their individual rights that made this country, that molded this country, and that have preserved this country for 200 and, well, let's see, it's 220, let's see, since the Constitution was was written in uh, 1787, it was ratified in 1789, our country's birth is usually considered from the Declaration of Independence in 1776. These uh, fools at the New York Times, I see, have been trying to change the founding of our country to 1619 because... They would love to do anything to make our country look bad, to make it seem. Yeah, that was the that was the year the first slave ship arrived in Jamestown. Sixteen nineteen was the first arrival of African slaves in this country. A, a dark. Of course, it wasn't a country then; it was a colony of the English Empire. There was actually several colonies, and, uh, several different yes, empires and, that had probably uh, set up colonies. And at, at the that time, point. at the time that slaves arrived in the New World in sixteen nineteen, slavery was legal and. France, it was legal in Spain, it was legal in England, it was practiced all over Africa, it was practiced all over Asia. And, and, it, ha- and it has has been for the entire history of the world, for the most part. You read the, and the, the Bible. Entire, and I mean, look at here, the panel ago. has just doubled. doubled. Yes, sir. We're going to welcome Sonny's Auto Salvage to the table. Thanks for being well, on hey. time. You're just, you know, one of my favorite guys here. <laughs> Thanks for being with us today. We always have fun, don't we, Carl? We always do. 
We always do. And, and uh, the reason that I was just haranguing our, our buddy Paul is that today is Constitution Day. It was September 17th, 1787, that the Constitutional Convention promulgated the original Constitution of the United States without amendments, uh, which was then adopted over the course of the next two years by all the colonies except for uh, let's see. I think the the last holdouts were Rhode Island and New York, if I'm not mistaken. But once they got up to nine of the colonies or the nine of the states at that time who had declared their independence under a very loose confederation in 1776, and that loose confederation uh, under the Articles of Confederation proved to be unworkable. And as a result, the the representatives of the 13 independent states got together, and they wrote a constitution. This constitution was written by some of the most brilliant men that have ever been in our country. Amazing. The right people there at the right time. I would have to say so. I would have to say so. And then, of course, once it was ratified, it was at the insistence of many of the states only ratified it if they agreed to add the Bill of Rights. Uh, James Madison had not wanted to put in a Bill of Rights because he was afraid if he put in a Bill of Rights that then these types, if you know what I mean, would come along and say, oh, this right's not mentioned in there, therefore Therefore. you don't have that right. And uh, the idea was that our basic rights come from God, not from government. Amen. And uh, one thing that, if we get around to talking about the Second Amendment, if Jan shows up, I know we will, but we may anyway. If we get around to talking about the Second Amendment, that was always considered, even though Madison talked about a militia and blah, 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 and militias mentioned in it. But ever since the earliest days of the Bill of Rights, it's always been considered to have confirmed a God-given right to self-defense, not to confer a right from the government. Right. It's nothing Am I right? That's, that's, amen. That's <clears throat> something. Freedom is not something that's issued by the government. Nope. Freedom is something that's issued by God. What, well, what, it, it, what it, our, it, our challenge in life is to escape from government to exercise that freedom. <laughs> exactly we can. right. But government has the tendency to grow and to come up with real good reasons to take those rights away from you. And I think what Madison, as you were referring to, was afraid that they would start listing what freedoms we had and which ones we didn't yeah, have. If, if, and if, when you he start didn't want that, there to be a list and say these are all the freedoms we exactly. get. Exactly. So, and that's why in, in, in the Tenth Amendment, it very specifically says that all rights not reserved under this document to the federal government are retained by the states and the people. So, you know, I, I compare that to uh, insurance policy. You know, there are two types of insurance policies you can get, a named peril policy or what in the old days we called all-risk policies. Of course, nothing covers everything. But in a named peril policy, they say you're covered for fire, lightning, windstorm, hail, aircraft riots, explosions, smoke, vandalism, civil commotion, theft, and, and whatever you know is in that policy. But, and it's, if it's one of those things, you're covered. And if it's not one of those things, you're not. And the 
Constitution is not a named peril policy. It's it says it's kind of the opposite of that. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like the special form we call it today, or in the old days, all risk. Where sure. say you're covered for all risk to direct physical loss, except, and they name the things that you're not covered for. And in the Constitution, it outlines the things that are reserved for the federal government, things like commerce between the states and international treaties. Those are things that can only be done by the federal government. But something that's not mentioned in the Constitution as reserved to the federal government is then therefore reserved to the states. One of the greatest documents <coughs> pardon me. One of the greatest documents that's ever I pushed the wrong cough button, didn't I? Well, that's okay. Uh, but to get back to the idea that today's Constitution Day, and I, I was so glad they mentioned that on the news because we don't spend near enough time talking about, thinking about, cherishing the Constitution and, and what it stands for. The kids for. ought to be out of school today. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and oftentimes no, one, of the, one of the problems is yeah. we've got this kind of bizarre notion that's been developed in the legal system that the court's decisions – regardless of whether or not they agree with the Constitution, are actually part of the Constitution. And I'm glad you brought up the court, Paul, because that's an important part. That's one of the things I'd like to talk about today. When you, when you, the, the court does have its place. Of course it does. It does. have a very yeah. important place in our constitutional mm-hmm. system. It's part of the checks and balances that were made to prevent mm-hmm. one branch of government from becoming tyrannical. Well, and so, so one of the things that that is required, I think, is actually in the Constitution itself, is that the the people who are elected to these various different positions are required to take an oath to uphold the Constitution. And so, everybody in line, whether it's a police officer or a prosecutor or a judge, all of those people have taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, and all of them have a duty to disobey laws. Which violate the Constitution. And and when Kamala Harris said in a debate a few weeks back that if she was elected president, if Congress didn't act, by God, she would act. And talking about gun control, well, and, talking and, and about that's, getting that's, dangerous guns off the street. And, and that's one of the dangers of arming government is sometimes mm. government gets out of control. We've got maniacal thugs that are willing to take power and take matters into their own hands and we'll break use the law to do it. and use government guns to do it. And that, that, that's one of the dangers of allowing government to be armed at all. Well, I'm sure that you both saw, if not live when it happened, because the, the debate, the last debate where they whittled the field down to 10 mm-hmm. was still awfully boring. But the one exciting part was an old... Robert Francis O'Rourke got up there and started waving his arms around, wildly gesticulating, and saying, yes, we're coming for your AR-15s. Yes, we're coming for your AR-15s. Hell yes, we're going to take your (laughs) AR-15s. Yeah, well, and and, and anybody that thinks that it will stop with AR-15s and AK-47s doesn't understand how government works. Do you think he'll be standing on the front row when they're coming down the street? I I doubt it. So so he's going to hire some hitmen. To come and disarm people if, <laughs> yeah, he, this, if he gets his way, and so the fact is that what he did on on national TV was he made a felony threat. He, he, he th- did. He threatened to come and steal people's weapons. He, that, he, that was he, his threat. He, he told us that our constitution, God given and constitutionally guaranteed rights, were insignificant to him. 
and he was willing, he was, he was willing he was, for he was the willing sake use, of power. I, th- I think to sh- muster the right. ignorant masses behind him, which fortunately his ignorant masses are one percent of the twenty three percent that are Democrats. So, maybe so, but the thing is, though, that, that I think we need to recognize that what he what he articulated on national television was that he was willing to use violence. To yep. take arc weapons to to, to 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 attack peaceful people exactly. who refuse He'd, to submit to his illegal rules. One of my favorite Abraham Lincoln quotes is, "Don't interfere with anything in the Constitution that must be maintained, for it is the only safeguard of our liberties." All righty, when yeah. you know we have a a break, we're going to need to take to pay some bills, and I want to get it in early enough. We have time to continue this discussion and after we get back i'm going to ask our outstanding engineer to play us something from joe scarsborough cut two when we come back from this break and we'll discuss a little more about this confiscation business thanks for joining us on the dave ellswick show welcome back to the dave ellswick show carl kimball sitting in for dave with the power panel and we've been talking about the fact that today is constitution day it was on this day in 1787 that the Constitution of the United States was promulgated, went into effect two years later. and 230 per- years? Oh, 232. And uh, 32. 30, 232 years of constitutional government that protects our rights as citizens. Allegedly. And it, alleg- and listen, it, it works when the people who swear to uphold it, uphold it. Now, here's a guy who once swore to uphold it. When he was in Congress and pretending to be a conservative, his name's Joe Scarsborough. Go ahead and hit cut number two there, if you would, please, Zach. The two talking points that he will take all the way into the fall of next year, uh, <coughs> if people keep talking about him on the Democratic side, one is the confiscation of guns, which I think Mayor Pete was exactly right when he said that is just a non-starter. Democrats need to talk about issues where Americans are with them on that issue. Nobody, including Reverend Al yesterday said, you know, people want their, nobody wants their doors kicked down uh, when the federal government comes for guns. And- okay, so, you know, he's, it's easy for him to poo-poo. But, you know, these people, what he's saying is that they need to stop talking about this. They're not going to stop wanting to do it. But, they need to stop talking about this because they're going to scare off middle-class people who are disgusted with politics and don't particularly identify as Republicans or Democrats, just want to get on with their life. But they don't particularly want Uncle Sugar showing up with guns, telling him to roll over and put his hands on his head while they rifle through his drawers looking for his firearms. Now, it sounds to me like he wants to go ahead and use the frog in the in the water approach. You know, yeah. quit being slowly. so radical yeah, and beating the drum, but just well, let's keep working that direction. Yeah, well, that's, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about uh, Joe, who used to be a Republican, is now telling the Democrats, you don't have to give up this, but you just can't talk about it. You just can't be talking about that. You're going to run people off. Well, here's something else. Yeah, we're talking about dangers to the Constitution. Here's something on page one today that I think is a real danger to our constitutional government. We were talking earlier about the Supreme Court and how important it is to our constitutional systems, checks and balances. We have a system where the government gets to pick, the president, I should say, gets to pick the Supreme Court nominees. They have to be ratified by the Senate. And then they've got a job for life. And the reason they're given a job for life is they're supposed to be free from political influence. 
Well, this guy Kavanaugh, who's on the front page of the paper today, and he's on the front page of our paper only because he was on the front page of that scurrilous, evil, nasty, socialist rag, the New York Times, all the, all the lies and propaganda that's unfit to print. Someone wants to weigh in on this. Go ahead and give us a call. Uh, Bob and Conway, join us, please. Hi, guys. How hey. are you today? Bob, we're doing about as well as we can. We're grateful to be Americans and grateful to have you on the radio with us. Tell us your take on all this. Okay, okay. I just wonder if the general populace understands that the reason that the continental U.S. has never been invaded is because we have the Second Amendment. That's 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 my take on it. I think I think it's uh, a, I think it's a strong mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a strong deterrent to to invasion because you know when we've got basically an army of what a hundred million people. Yeah, you here, know, here in America, of, of armed people that are voluntarily arming and arming themselves. Right. Everybody, everybody owns a weapon, and it, and it's guaranteed as our as one of our constitutional rights. And and the idea of confiscation is so <coughs> utterly ridiculous. How how would they do it? They they'd have to they'd have to activate the military with with force and guns. To do it. Bob, with force and guns, that's the only way they'd be able to do it. And, and you can imagine, and, and this is why it's a pipe dream, can you imagine they don't have enough policemen and soldiers in this country all put together to go through everybody's house looking for their guns? There are just too many of us and, and not enough of them to do it. I, I think they'd be counting on voluntary compliance and then the, the, the few hundred people that would actually stiffen their backs and say no. They'll kill them. Well, yeah, well, and that's got to be the threat behind it. And, and they're willing to do it, I think. It, it, it worked with, with other types of things. Like in the past, they, they, they banned machine guns, and they were pretty successful at that. They banned explosives. You know, it wasn't too terribly long ago. You could buy dynamite at the hardware stores. You could go blow stumps out of your, your back 40. But you, know, you can't do that me, anymore. It makes me wonder as well, folks, that if, my say, my brother was in the Army or he was a policeman, and they sent my brother to my house to get my gun. Do you think my brother was – no, no, it's not – that could not possibly work. It could not possibly work. Yeah, I agree. I, I would hope you're right. I would hope you're right. Through it. But, Bob, one thing, we appreciate your call, but one thing, watch out for these red flag laws and these background checks. The Republicans are talking about red flag laws to where any judge can uh, – can give the police the right to come and take your guns without you being convicted of anything. So look, watch out for these red flag laws and these background checks that the Democrats and some of the Republicans are talking about as a national registry to register all our guns. So we, we have to be yeah. diligent. Bob, we really we really thank you for your call. You got one last thing you want to add? We we can't we can't let that happen, folks. We can't let we can't let Amen. that happen. And my 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 last comment, gentlemen, thank you very much for taking my call. Is I, I sure wish the the Democratic and the, and the and the and the left would stop throwing the American populace under the bus just because they don't have the power. Okay. Thank you very much. Bob, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand how you feel. The thing is that the Democratic Party and the people on the left who want socialism, who want government, are not going to let up. They're not going to stop. The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And that's why when we get back after our bottom of the hour break, I want to talk more about this business with Justice Kavanaugh, because this is nothing less than an attempt to jigger our constitutional system. Those who depend on judges to force on the American people what they could not get elected 
openly saying that they represent are trying to destroy people even now, not only, they've been trying for 30 years to destroy them in hearings when they're up for confirmation before the Senate. Well, the, the, the judicial But branch, now they're trying to destroy them after they've been confirmed. Right. The, the judicial branch has been the oligarchy, has become the oligarchy, and it's been a powerful tool to the left. And, and Donald Trump, through his election, has seriously impaired that, and the Democrats and their allies hate it. We're going to see more about this after the news at the bottom of the hour. Welcome back, and we're going to try to make it stimulating, but we'll have to stimulate it without Dave here. He's on very important duty, taking care of his beautiful missus who's undergoing surgery today, and our thoughts and prayers are with Linda and her family, and hope to have a good report for you in the near future on how she's doing. Uh, we were talking before we broke about the Constitution. I'm, I'm Carl Kimball from Chanel Insurance, sitting in for Dave, and I'm here with my outstanding Panel, Paul Calvert, entrepreneur, small L libertarian, Old Testament prophet in training, <laughs> R.D. Hopper from uh, Sonny's Auto Salvage, the usual uh, suspects on Tuesday afternoon. Delighted to have you guys with me. I-, I had wanted to talk about this Kavanaugh story, not because I want to discuss any of the lascivious details of it, because I, I guarantee I don't. In fact, I don't really want to talk about what it was about much at all, since there's no reason to believe it isn't all lies. And and uh, even the New York Times had to admit they suppressed exculpatory evidence, and, and, and including the fact that the supposed victim didn't even remember this ever happening. Now, if something like that had happened, you'd think you would have remembered it. But it, it was just a, another smear attempt. And, and as soon as it came out, you immediately had about six or seven Democratic candidates for president that immediately called for his impeachment based on one New York Times story without proper sourcing, with no confirmation, with zero evidence, and the supposed victim not remembering that it ever happened. So, you know, (laughs) and, and yet... You've got Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and the other usual suspects saying, impeach him immediately. And then you had about another six or seven that called for his resignation. So you had the majority of the 20-strong Democrat field calling to get rid of Judge Kavanaugh. And, of course, you know why. It's because Judge Kavanaugh, rightly or wrongly, is considered to be an opponent of Roe versus Wade. And Roe versus Wade is... Well, it's the sacrament and the Holy Ghost to the left. And they know that they cannot have a conservative majority on the court because it threatens all of the things that they were able to accomplish well, without well, going it, through elected government. Well, I, I think it, it, the, the Supreme Court has been the left's march to hell. Yes. It, it, it has been their, their – um, it, it has been their avenue, their path. That that allows them to get their um, their um, their hell bent ideas passed. I mean, they're they're not they're not they're not apparently they're not able to do it through the legislative process or through getting uh, initiatives passed through the people. They use the courts. Yeah, you'd have thought that, that and, and it, it, there's there's a pretty wide divide opening right now between states like Arkansas, like Alabama, like Kentucky, like like Ohio as well that are, that are passing laws uh, making greater restrictions on abortion, and then states like 
California and New York that are practically ready to start having fourth trimester abortions. Uh-oh. Right. And you know, I'm wondering getting... when my kid starts college, you know, is it too late, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Is that, is it, at what point? Is it at what point do they think it's wrong to kill people, or maybe their point is that they don't actually believe it's wrong to kill well, people. They just, think, they just think it's a, it's a matter of convenience, and you know, it's, are you any better than a fish or a dog or a boy? Mm-hmm. Or is that the question? Well, they're actually, does it make any difference? They're actually. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on one hundred one point one FM, The Answer, KTXC. We're delighted to have you with us this afternoon. I'm Carl Kimball from Chanel Insurance, sitting in for Dave, who's out today. Have R.D. Hopper with me on the panel and Paul Calvert. We're delighted to take your call. Uh, who remembers the number? Is it 823? 823-0965. 823-0965. Give us a call if you want to join the conversation. We've been celebrating the fact that today is the anniversary of the signing and promulgating of the Constitution of the United States after the Constitutional Convention of 1787, the great freedoms it's led us to have, and talking about some of the threats to our constitutional order. And speaking of threats to the constitutional order, here's Kamala Harris. Thank you for being here and taking my question. Um, do you believe in the mandatory buyback of quote-unquote assault weapons? And whether or not you do, how does that idea not go against fundamentally the Second Amendment? Yeah, so, um, great question. I do believe that we need to do buybacks, and I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, let's be clear about what assault weapons are. They have been designed to kill a lot of human beings quickly. They are weapons of war with no place on the streets of a civil society. I've seen assault weapons kill babies and police officers. So one, I'll tell you when elected president, if the United States Congress continues to fail to have the courage to do something about this, I'm prepared to take executive action and put in place a ban on the importation of assault weapons into our country. But we still have to deal with the over two million assault weapons that are currently in the streets of America. And so a buyback program is a good idea. Now we need to do it the right way. And part of that has to be, you know, buy back and give people their value, the financial value of, 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 of what they have and not just take things from people that, that have value without compensating them. We need to do it the right way. But we've got to deal with the fact that these people in Washington, D.C., have failed to have the courage. How many of you guys as college students had to have a drill during high school or middle school or elementary school? Where you, or even in college, where you learned about how you need to hide in a closet or crouch in a corner in the event that there was a mass shooter roaming the hallways of your school. Look at that. Look at that. And here's the thing. It terrorized you. It is traumatizing. I don't want that any of our children should have to sit in class when you should be paying attention to what's happening in the front of the classroom letting your mind open up to the wonders of science, math, or art, or whatever, and instead have to be worried about who's going to come banging through the door carrying some kind of weapon. Leaders need to lead on this issue. And so I'm telling you, when elected, if Congress fails to act, I'll give them 100 days to put a bill on my desk for signature, and if they do not do it, I will put in place by executive action a comprehensive background check requirement and a ban on the assault weapons and importation of assault weapons into our country. I'm done. So.
There you go. More human rights violations. Uh, Kamala Harris uh, has laid her cards on the table. If Congress won't do what she wants, she will act in a dictatorial fashion to make the laws herself, enforce the laws herself, interpret the laws herself, essentially pull all of the branches of government into her sacred person and tell us poor benighted fools how we have to live our lives and what rights we will be allowed to keep. Unbelievable. Yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a queen in, instead of a president, doesn't it? But what's amazing is people can listen Maybe to that like and believe. You know, you know, how has that worked on drugs? You know, they've outlawed a lot of drugs and have they taken them all away from all the <laughs> all the drug dealers? And there's no more drugs in the world. <laughs> they can't even keep them out of prison, right? So they can't outlaw anything. Do you think that all the people that are going into schools and shooting people another law? How many laws do they break when they go into a school yeah. and shoot somebody? Are they going to go in and turn their guns in to get their money back on their guns? Yeah, I yeah, mean, right. just the fantasy that what she's saying would improve anything <laughs> he, is crazy so, to me. So, you know, I think there's this notion that well, guns are just too dangerous. It makes it, people, makes it so easy for people to kill other people, and there's some truth in that. Mm-hmm. It does make it easier for this 90-pound um, woman to defend herself from a 300-pound man who wants to rape her. It makes it a lot easier for her to defend herself. How does a president keep from getting shot with all those evil guns around him when he goes around different places? He's got guys with guns. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but the thing is, so so if if we were to get rid of guns in society, okay, if there's no guns around, what can a strong man do with a club? Yeah, you know, if there's nobody in the room, and if he, there's nobody within five minutes to get to get in there and stop him, and he's just got a club, you know what a strong, you know how many people a strong man can kill in five minutes with a club? And of course, we've had examples of you know, in France has got very very strict gun control. Well, they'll use knives. So they well, so they use a van and they or, drive over people in the streets. Sure. They find where a lot of people are sure. congregated and, on sidewalks, and, how, and they go down the sidewalk just plowing them down by the and dozen. And nobody's do got s- anything to stop them. Right. With. And how on earth do you stop someone who's driving a vehicle if you don't have a gun? Mm-hmm. And and unless you get another vehicle to stop him with, and, and even then, that's that's, that's sketchy. And in England, there was, where they have extremely tough gun control laws, they had a rash of knife attacks. So here's one thing, getting back to what you talked about earlier. We do have a problem in this country with too much violence. We do. Sure we do. We, we do. There's a lot of ways we're imperfect. We like to toot our horns about how great we are, but we're imperfect people. And there are a lot of things about our country that could be improved. And one of them is it would be nice if we had less violence. And and, and perhaps the severity of that violence is made worse by the fact that we have easier access to guns than almost any other country on the planet. It it might be. But by like token, getting back to what you talked about earlier, who's going to invade us? Who's going to overrun right. us? Right. There's, who's going to come? Who's going to come there, through I, I, and I take think away? At, at this point, an invasion would be a pretty futile endeavor by even China. They might mm-hmm. be able to put ten million people on our border. Ten million will, is, isn't enough. Uh, thank, thanks to our rapid firing weapons. <laughs> yeah, you know, even, even if we just had muzzleloaders, ten million people, ten million soldiers from China uh, wouldn't be enough. Uh, well, there are Americans who have been willing to put it all on the line. 
to take that musket off the mantelpiece or whatever the equivalent is in the age in which they live and go to the front lines and stand up for our independence, for our freedom, and for our constitutional government. I think that our constitutional government is supremely important. It is the bulwark which allows us to enjoy all the other freedoms and all the privileges we have. We couldn't possibly be the people that we are without freedom. Guns have helped us keep that freedom. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. We will be back right after the top of the hour news. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 The Answer. And I'm Carl Kimball from Chanel Insurance sitting in for Dave today. Got some good news that Dave will be back tomorrow, so the show will be even better than I promise you. I'm delighted to be able to save the show from my own disjointed ramblings by having to share the stage with us outstanding panel, R.D. Hopper and Paul Calvert. Glad to have you gentlemen with us. Thank, Thank you. And uh, this hour, see, we pretty much we pretty much thrashed gun control for an hour <laughs> the last time, so we'll move on to something a little different this time. And would like to invite uh, members of the Hoi Polloi to call in and join this conversation because this hour will be dedicated to the middle class. And I want to start it out with a little short article in National Review from my favorite historian, Victor Davis Hanson. Some of you may have seen him on uh, Fox News or read his columns in the Democrat Gazette. Uh, I fell in love with him as a writer when I read Carnage and Culture many years ago. Outstanding historian. And the latest issue of National Review is entitled, What We Love About America. And they got a whole bunch of writers and editors to write little brief columns about what they like about America. And Victor Davis Hanson picked the middle class. Wow. Let let him tell you why. To quote, Immigrants to America never brought with them the idea that they were still European subjects, nor were our small farmers peasants or serfs. Instead, the United States was the rare consensual government in history in which the middle class in numbers and influence defined the society and culture at large. Every man was to be a king, And so his home really was his castle. You can see the modern result of such middle-class chauvinism manifested on the freeway in the huge Winnebago with chairs, bikes, and gadgets tacked onto the sides, barreling to a national park, or by listening to the well-informed callers on talk radio who proved to be better informed than Ivy League students. Elites hate jet skis, snowmobiles, and recreational vehicles, in part because they reflect that so many have the wherewithal to have fun without the approval or sanction of their betters. The twin of such populist chauvinism has always been a unique informality lacking in most nations abroad. Americans are practical, commonsensical, and self-reliant. The middling classes usually avoid the European gullibility of periodically embracing all-encompassing doctrines and ideologies. They certainly never warmed to the patron or the manor. The middle class would have found would-be Hitler's, Mussolini's, or Stalin's more creepy than spellbinding. Neither Marxism nor aristocracy caught on here. Because upward mobility was more than just a free market slogan. Americans have always been suspicious of their European ancestors' ossified notions that merit was based on birth 
and inheritance rather than natural talent, action, and achievement were success and privilege defined by who your grandfather was. So dominant is this ethos of unpretentiousness that even the blue blood and magnet often embrace the fashion, accent, and bearing of the middle class. The aristocratic Ivy Leaguer William F. Buckley famously announced, quote, I should sooner live in a society governed by the first 2,000 names in the Boston Telephone Directory than in a society governed by the 2,000 faculty members of Harvard University, unquote. <laughs> Buckley did not mean just that he resented the overweening nonsense of the Eastern liberal intelligentsia. He was also perhaps conceding that men of his own class would gladly admit that the common sense and bearing of the average folks had kept the country sane and balanced. In this sometimes paradoxical view of privilege, Americans respect professors but would not wish to turn the country over to them. They admire the man who appears successful and rich enough to drive a Porsche, but also believe a Ford, Honda, or Chevy is a better barometer of steadiness and sanity and a far better cost-to-benefit investment. (laughs) Americans, in their nonstop drive to make something of themselves, worship education, are impressed by professional titles, and strive to become affluent, but usually in a context where such resulting success is the result of hard work and natural talent, and thus should be emulated rather than resented as an unfair entitlement of royalty and aristocracy. Americans lack the idea of knighthood, They bristle even at the motorcades of their high officials. To cut into an airport line or pull rank bothers citizens who have convinced themselves that no one is better than they. This ascendancy of the middle class is due in part to the classical legacies of independent agrarians, in part to the efforts of the Constitution to promote a natural equality of opportunity in part to the confidence that America, by design, would be different from European class and monarchy, British imperial aristocracy and Spanish manorialism, and in part simply the often wild marriage of freedom and capitalism. So-called elites may mock the middle class and deride it as deplorable and irredeemable in its culture and tastes, But usually, the middle class has had the last laugh. Well, if you're a deplorable or an irredeemable and would like to call in and talk about this or any other topic we've touched on in the Dave Ellswick Show, give us a ring at 8230965. That was Victor Davis Hanson from the most recent issue of National Review. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I don't think he's right. No? I don't think that... In what respect? I don't think that the middle class are really that independent anymore. I think maybe 75 or 100 years ago, you would have found a lot of your kind of middle American farmers to be very independent. They didn't care an awful lot what the what other people thought. They did their own thing, and they were successful, and they were pretty rugged individualists. I don't think that's true today. I don't think very many middle class people are rugged individualists. I think... Middle class not, not even the landlords or insurance agents? Maybe a few of them, but there's, there's, a, there's a few of us out here that are self-employed, and I think the self-employed people are are, are more inclined to be rugged individualists or, or more um, <clears throat> more 
likely to support individual liberties and such. But I think that kind of the the average middle class American right now that that's what gave us Obama. I think right. that's what gave us uh, Trump. Well, unfortunately, and, I, and I, there's some things I like about Trump, but sorry, there were a lot better <laughs> candidates out there than Trump, and yet we got Trump. And he was about my seventeenth. Yes, I, yes think. <laughs> I, I think that was true of a lot of people. And 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 the fact is that I think middle class Americans gave us both Obama and Trump. And I think that just speaks to to where we are as a country. And, and like I said, I, I think there's I think Trump has some some admirable qualities that a lot of us would would do well to um, to emulate. But I'm sorry, I, I think I, I think America has lost its moral uh, moral compass, and that's one of the reasons while we while we're seeing such so much garbage going on and i think that's middle class america rd weigh in hey i'm i'm with i'm with the rider i tell you what <coughs> paul i know i know what you're saying and you hang out at the capitol way too much yeah <laughs> hanging <laughs> around with politicians I, and I, talk I, show hosts I, I think may be you the need problem. to get out more but me as a small business owner right. in the automotive businesses most of my customers are hard working small business people mm-hmm. that own that own uh small farms or they own lawn businesses or they own auto repair businesses and if they're and, irredeemable and deplorable they're proud of they, it they are right in your face. they are proud of it it's they right. get up and go to work and many of them are hispanic and have come to this country legally and i'm proud to be in america i'm married to one and uh and and we don't care what color we are in America. You know, most people I believe still believe in the Bible and believe that God created uh, men and women in His image, and all people are equal. So, in my surroundings, the people I do business with every day, I see good, hardworking middle class business owners on a regular basis, and all of those people that you said you would have rather picked. They still see them as highly educated people that has been in the system for too long and is already jaded by the system, and they want another entrepreneur, free thinker, that's going to thumb their nose at normal politicians and make a decision from the seat of his pants. Okay, there you go. We have a gloomy and a rosy take on Victor Hansen's uh, little article there. I appreciate it. We've got a... Irredeemable, deplorable from Cabot on the line, I think. All right. Let's find out if she really is. Uh, Leanne, are you with us? I am. Well, Um, we're delighted that you called in, and we don't really think you're deplorable or irredeemable. Well, that's okay, because I'm redeemed. (laughs) Because if you believe in Jesus, you're redeemed, so, and you follow him. And I I try, I struggle, and I just am thankful that he uh, forgives me. Amen, sister. It's a struggle. Um, I think that the middle class has, a lot of them just want everything to be comfortable. They're tired of the bickering. Um, we all have to work to get along in our neighborhoods, in our schools, everywhere. And Congress is too full of egotistical butt shiners that <laughs> don't want to work together. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. And I think we still need to drain the swamp. I think Obama got elected because nobody looked too closely at him. Um, I was hopeful 
I usually don't vote Democratic, but when he got in, I thought, well, maybe it's not as bad as I think it might be because I was upset that he didn't have a record. Um, he didn't show up to vote. He, he was pretty much not vetted by anybody. And I found that disturbing. And I find it still disturbing because I see people still doing that. And I think that's some of the problem that the Republican Party has. They're just shoving people at us, hoping that we'll vote for them. Well, that, that, New York, that New York Times report uh, opinion guy, what's his name, Brooks, he's, he said that he liked the crease in Obama's pants. Remember that? Well, that's, well, a, that's a good well, reason. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it, I if, think if you're looking for a reason. People think that we're all stupid and that they can just keep putting somebody's name in front of us, and that's enough. And that's why I could not go with Jeb Bush because I felt like the media wanted me to pick George Jeb Bush. Yeah, he was uh, leading in the polls this time four years ago, wasn't he? Yeah, and and I was like, no, I don't want him because you guys think I should choose him. I could not vote for Hillary. I, I, I'm still going to be ABC probably till the day I die. Anybody but a Clinton. Those of us Uh, who know them best, right, Leanne? Yeah, and I, I don't understand how all these people think that they're not bad people. I'm like, hello? And then everybody thinks Mr. Obama, President Obama, is this wonderful average Joe, and I'm going, um, he's sort of like Bernie Sanders. He never had a real job either. I don't consider a community organizer a job. That's no, something you do not a real one. here. <laughs> And, 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 you know, a community organizer definitely shouldn't be making, like, six figures a year. Have, you heard, of, have you heard of Saul Alinsky, Leanne? Yes. Uh, both both yes. Obama and Hillary were self-described disciples of Saul Alinsky, and he wrote the handbook, yes. Rules for Radicals, on how to be a successful community organizer. That's where the well, deplorable came if, from. If that's somebody's job description, go for it, but that's not what I wanted to do. Um, um, I'm with you, Leanne. It's still not what I want to do. I'm, I'm, I'm getting old enough now that I'm tired of fighting, but not old enough that I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Thank you for calling the Dave Ellswick Show, Leanne. You want to add anything before we let you go? Um, I think that our young people are very, um, I, I feel for them. They, they didn't get good music. Um, they didn't have good clean fun. And they have too much peer pressure. And, and they spend too much time on their phones. Yeah. Well, a phone doesn't hug you. And it doesn't tell you it loves you. And it doesn't care who in the heck you're dating. And there's just a lot of problems. I, I I feel for my kids, too. I mean, none of them got to have. I was not a trendy mother. I don't care what all the other kids have. I, I bet you were a good mother, Leanne. And listen, I appreciate your calling so much, but we're going to have to pay some bills here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you for listening. We hope that you'll stay tuned in, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on The Answer. Carl Kimball here with Paul Calvert and R.D. Hopper. And we've been talking about middle class and middle class values. And story R.D.'s telling me over the break made me think about when I left my parents' home and 
my 1965 Dodge Polara that held all of my worldly possessions, <laughs> all my clothes, all my record albums, my cheap stereo. And uh, I got to Colorado. I had 50 bucks in the bank, a $100 car, 300 old record albums, and a cheap stereo. And that was about the sum of my worldly <laughs> Three, possessions. 300 uh, records? Yeah, I've still got the 300, 300 records. Oh, wow. I've still, I've still got all 300 of them, too, plus a few more. Our wow. story is very close to the same. I lived <laughs> in Mountain View, Arkansas in the 1965, same year, El Camino. So I only had one bench seat, and I had all my worldly possessions in a box. <laughs> you didn't need a back seat. seat I didn't even need a back seat for mine and i remember that box sitting in the front seat and looking over and having a lamp sticking up out of the box and i was headed off in the wild blue yonder it took decades but i finally pulled myself (laughs) up by the bootstraps into the lower middle class which you know and being lower middle class in america is not really too bad a thing compared to being almost anybody almost anywhere else gosh history of the world now i said that now i got a now i got a got a house and three cars that are paid for and and uh, n- no debts and ready to man, I'm straight not through yet. the rest of my life there. But, man. Uh, and there, look at all the success that R.D.'s had for all the hard work. And that's uh, like like Paul and I were talking about. It's amazing how much luckier you get when you work hard, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> yeah, that's a little it, bit. It, it does kind of have the odds go up. Yeah, you know, no when doubt. You, when, you, when you put your back into it, you work hard and and you're willing to get sweaty and dirty and and. The odds go up. It's not a it's not a sure thing, but the odds do go up. And sometimes you got to be willing to do what the average guy doesn't want to do, because mm-hmm. then you get paid. You yeah. got to be willing to do what your competition is not willing to do. Yeah. The way there you, you win in sports and the way you win in business is to be willing to outwork and and outthink yeah. your competitors. You know, it's be, kind of the American and, way. And you find something that people are willing to pay you to do. Time. You know there there are people that are willing to work hard, but they're but they they want to do something. There's no market for. Mm. You know, I so wanted to teach medieval history. I really did. <laughs> and had both to work of the for people the who did wanted I, to study did that I, wouldn't hire you, Paul. Did I ever tell you that when I was in <laughs> in uh, Colorado during the Ford recession back in the mid seventies that I learned the three great lessons of history? What's that? One is that. Nobody learns the lessons of history anyway. (laughs) Two is that when economic times are hard, nobody pays you jack to know about medieval history. And three is that in economic hard times, people still buy insurance. Hey, Carl, if you sign up a class, kept me from starving. (laughs) Hey, if you sign up a class, I'll I'll be the first student. All you got to do is start a class. All right, I'll be your first student. We'll see how many we can get. That's a generous offer (laughs) for medieval history. It does sound like something that would be interesting to know. I don't know a terrible lot about medieval history. I've. I guess I've watched Robin Hood. So where we came from? Well, you know, that, don't don't take that too literally. You know, that taking Robin Hood too literally is kind of like taking Daniel Boone stories. Mm. You know, killed and in the bar when he, he was, was only, only five. Three, you know? Whatever it was, yeah. They might you know, have been embellished uh, a little bit through might, the might, years. Might have been just a little bit. So yeah, maybe maybe it would be good for us to study medieval history. But but I understand where you're it's saying. It's all where this, we came that, from. That's, that's exactly right. Then you got to learn. We've got to learn from history. You know, in Stone County, one of the things that the old timers will teach you is there's no education in the second kick of a mule. (laughs) 
Hey, you know, guys in Stone County got a little bit of sense. You got don't that they? right. So every once in a while, that yeah. saying comes back to haunt me because yeah. I'm getting kicked by the same mule the second time, and yeah. I have to think. There's a I little holy wisdom for Dave yeah. Ellswick fans here on KDXC, The mm-hmm. Answer 101.1. Welcome back to Dave Ellswick's show. Sorry you're without Dave today, but we got to get him back tomorrow, and that'll be a blessing for all concerned, I'm sure. Carl Kimball from Chanel Insurance sitting in for Dave on this fine day, another beautiful day in paradise here with my friends R.D. Hopper and Paul Calvert. And uh, we've been talking about the middle class in this hour and and uh, the importance of the middle class in America, how we are truly a bourgeois society. Uh, the French, it's a Frenchy word, you know, that's used to make fun of the middle class. But actually, the strength of the middle class has been what has really made our country. Now, one reason that I think that we have so many reasons to be concerned about the upcoming election is that a lot of the plans that are being posited are ones that are going to, although they don't say this, they're going to push the middle class down. The middle class, Victor Davis Hanson talked about, how did he put it? He said, elites hate jet skis, snowmobiles, and recreational vehicles in part because they reflect that so many have the wherewithal to have fun without the approval or sanction of their <laughs> supposed betters. Well, i tell you what, the elites also hate it whenever some of them have enough money to run for public office oh. and upset the plans of the elite who have already played the chess game four or five moves down the table. Well, they're trying to destroy <laughs> the president personally, financially, economically, every way they can. They want to destroy him because he has... He's been a hand grenade in the uh, in in the outhouse there, you might say, uh, <laughs> because the crap is flying everywhere under the Trump presidency, and it's getting on some of the people who are used to uh, being in their fineries and just telling the rest of us where to go and what to do. They don't like it. Well, that middle class needs to be involved in politics. They need to be educated on what's going on in our state and our nation, and they need to be running for office. And and uh, their voice needs to be, needs to be to training be heard. their kids. They need yeah, to they be training train their kids. I think that's one of the biggest problems. I agree. Is is that there there so many people in the middle class are allowing the government to educate their children. And there is the one area in which I shine. I only had one child, but by God, I raised him to be an independent-minded, free-thinking, nobody's slave, nobody's patsy. Uh, adult individual who's worthy of his American citizenship, and and Good once job. my once my son was self-supporting, my usefulness to society was almost exhausted. <laughs> but that was the one thing in life that I've done that's that's been truly, truly worthwhile. I, I flopped in the food tax, but. Uh, <laughs> but but in raising my son, I promised the wife that was my last political venture. I was going to concentrate on mm. raising the boy and making college tuition payments for the next few years mm. after that. And i got to say, I'm proud of the way he's turned out. Congratulations. Good job. And just like you said too, too many times. He was the first times. person that told me Trump was going to win. I found it hard to believe, but he <laughs> predicted it before anybody else that Well, I there knew. was people that didn't believe that until the last night, about <laughs> one hour left. <laughs> Hillary, Hillary Clinton still can't believe it. She wakes up in the uh, middle of the night and says, where's my secret service? Uh, 
But, but that's exactly right. Uh, the scary thing, and kind of what Paul, I was hopefully trying to give a positive <laughs> outlook for the future from the hardworking small business owners. Well, but the but one thing that Paul says, when you look more and more in the middle class are employed by the state and federal government, oh, then, no then it's scary because the more people that we get uh, employed by state and federal, county, and in the city government asked me people right the harder is it's going to be for the working middle class small mm-hmm. business guy to carry the cost of socialism and the cost of ensuring everybody that it's not working you know i, I remember how, one, how, do you, how do you convince these government employees to vote to cut their own job well you're not going to in most cases and the more people they can get working for government the bigger a constituency they have for always feeding government and growing government because that's the path to success that's that's uh, that's a conflict of interest in many respects when you allow indeed when you have all these people that are on the government dole whether or not they're welfare or just they're an employee you know even if you're just cutting grass for the government there's, a, there's, an a incentive, job. there's an incentive for you to vote for more tax dollars to pay your 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 salary for cutting grass. You know, it's been a few years ago. I was at a party up in – I'm trying to remember what the occasion was, and that's not important. But I was, I was in the Little Rock Club up on top of uh, what used to long ago be the Worthen Bank Tower. Mm-hmm. Now it's uh, Regions, I guess, Bank Tower now. Mm-hmm. But I was in this – one of these fancy clubs up on top of one of the big bank towers downtown. And I was looking down on all these buildings down below me and saying, that used to be a business, and now it's full of county bureaucrats. (laughs) That building over there used to be a business. Now it's full of city bureaucrats. That building over there is full of federal bureaucrats. You look down and you're in the middle of Little Rock, the capital city, so it's not like it's a representative Case, but see, you look down and you see all these buildings full of bureaucrats, and 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 in most cases, those buildings were originally built to house the fruits of capitalism and and the workings of independent private businesses, and now they're full of bureaucrats. That that part's not good. No, it's not. And I think part of what is leading to these more more and more bureaucrats is that some of the business owners have lobbied. the um, the state legislator, legislators to actually grow government mm. a, in various different ways. In many cases, when when the government grows in these way, various different ways, it enriches some of these established business owners. Well, it in, in various different ways. It promotes socialism and more Marxism. Whenever consolidation happens and you wipe out all the smaller businesses mm-hmm. as the middle class mm-hmm. people and bring bigger ones it's easy to bring them to the table and have and and, and to operate things but carl just what you were talking about when i drive through a town i look at the public buildings and look at the private buildings and i'm going asset liability asset mm-hmm. liability my but, mom went to uh, high school in cotton plant arkansas if you know where that is <laughs> close to brinkley yeah and uh, we were there for a funeral. That's the last time I had occasion to go to one of my one of my distant relatives that I'd known when I was little had passed away, and he was one of the last few folks from from my family still living in Cotton Plant. And when we, when he passed away, we were there for the funeral. It's the only buildings that weren't boarded up practically were government buildings: the welfare office, the post wow. office. The the government buildings were new. The schools. There were no the, new. There were no new buildings or or uh, well cared industry. for buildings other than ones that were uh, by the government. Wow. 
the, the smaller business and the family business uh, pay the cost of socialism the first. You know, used to before the cost of doing business and the government was so expensive, one family business could support a family and maybe two members of the same family. But, you know, with the with with those buildings going up that you're talking about and more of them being being on the public dole instead of the private being filled with bureaucrats that's exactly right the family who business needs someone is to tell what to do fill it first and like we were talking about before off the air you know when i left mountain view arkansas in my 65 el camino you left in a 65 cornet i think that we had more opportunity at that time because the overhead and the cost of doing business uh, government was, cheaper. was a lot smaller the back government then. was smaller so what hurts me is the next person that leaves in their car much like you and i did they have a harder role to hold than what you and i had well one thing that uh, i want to talk about when we get back from the break is how also they use as an excuse every time something happens that we think oh my god that's terrible we don't want that to happen anymore and so all the politicians begin pushing each other out of the way to get to the microphone to say i'm going to solve that problem but every solution is bigger government more restrictions and less freedoms amen as opposed to looking at the, looking at the problem and say you know what this was caused by government let's abolish some programs Let's talk about that more when we get back. I want to pay some bills now so we've got a little extra time in our final segment of this hour. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show on KDXXE 101.1, The Answer. I'm so sorry that Dave isn't really back, but you can settle for Paul and R.D. and Carl for the next few minutes. And we've been talking about middle class values and the middle of America and is it as great as it used to be well is it as strong as it used to be paul kind of says no too many of us are working for the government these days i I think there's been some improvements in some respects but but you know i I think there's some some ideologies from years ago that were were just not very good i mean 75 years ago a lot of black people were treated pretty bad here in the South. You don't have to go back that far, Pro- Probably I not. No, you don't. In some areas, it was much more recent than that. And so I think that has improved quite a bit. Oh, we live in much more enlightened and, times uh, uh, in many uh, ways. And on the other hand, though, 75 years ago, I think families were a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the family, the concept of a family was, was a lot stronger. 100 or 125 years ago, the, the idea of marriage was drastically different than what it is today. Well, we had we had the, in my lifetime uh, a pretty sharp cultural transformation that was caused by a combination of the birth control pill, Roe versus Wade, and uh, the idea of sex as recreation and uh, no longer no. reserved to a committed relationship. <clears throat> you know, we've all had the temptations of youth when we were young. But I don't think there's any doubt but that the ties that bind families together are are not nearly as strong as they were back in the days before the sexual revolution. And this is this is where I see our problem is with all these shooters. You look at all these these young men that and it's mostly young white men that are alienated, that don't have a lot of friends. They're almost all from single-parent families. 
and and there is the source of their alienation, their failure to develop as real men because they don't have a man in the household to teach them and show them what a man should do and a man should be. And they grow up with alienation, with with yet they, unsatisfaction yet still, with their own lot in yet life. They still have the hormones coursing through their bodies, and yet they still have the hormones coursing through their bodies. But no one showed them how to, how to them. control them or right. how to use them right. constructively. Right. The, the fact is that you know being born male makes you different from a female. Oh gosh, but, who would have thought it? Yeah, it, it does, and and that's the the thing is it it makes you drastically different. You feel different. Your emotions are different. What what drives you is different. It makes your muscles bigger, believe it or not. It makes your bones bigger, believe it or not. It makes you taller, believe it or not. This mm-hmm. is called biology. It is. And, and, and uh, also part of this drive makes you want to go out and make something of yourself. The, the guy that gets the pretty girl is the guy that's got something to offer the pretty girl. So you got to if you're if you're like Carl with fifty bucks and three hundred old <laughs> records to your name, you're not going to get so many girls as somebody that's driving a new car and has his own house. Even See? you know, yeah. even the wisdoms of Madonna, you know, the guy that saves his pennies makes my rainy day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, we well, all knew that. We, well, we you all know, knew I, you were going to have is, to. Is, should be driven to be successful. You got to channel that energy into trying to be successful in life and turning yourself into someone that would be desirable as a mate. And and kind of where we're going with it, I think, is that you know if you don't have a daddy, if you don't have a dad around to help you direct those things, you know, I I think being male is dangerous Mm. if you don't have guidance. Because the fact is that boys are a lot stupider than girls in many cases from a standpoint. Oh, no doubt. From a standpoint of being reckless. And being crazy and doing Hold things my and, and pushing the limits of things, but the thing is, though, that also being male, it, 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 there's there's things that that men will do that a lot of times women just won't do because one, they're not stupid enough, and yeah, two, they got better sense <laughs> right, to do right, and two, that it takes somebody who's just a little bit crazy to try it. Well, it, it may it be takes dangerous, a balance, you know, and there is a balance. And God, and, and, yeah, you know, God wrote. The Bible. He's the one that created the heavens and earth, I believe, and I think all three of us mm-hmm. believe in that. And he's the one that wired us the way we are, and he's the one that gave us a plan in a book that is perfect. The book is perfect in every way to all good works. So if we go back to the source of authority, to the guy that made us and designed us, he knows more how things work. In a marriage, you, you have both male and female. All right, you've got somebody there that sits down, analyzes things on the female side, does the math, maybe looks at the odds, and has a suggestion. You have a male there that doesn't like numbers and and says, hey, I feel like this is what we're doing. I'm going to kick down the door, and I'm going to do something. In a good marriage, it is a balance. It's a balance of common sense, being things being thought through, and maybe the in business, you know, the cost of goods, fixed overhead, and then you've got the risk side, and the and we're going to get it done no matter what it takes side. So finding it takes both. the balance the between balance the opposite answer. and important uh, aspects of your personality and your life. Or the key to success in no so doubt. many, so many ways. If you're driving down Scott Street and you go in front of the Albert Pike Memorial Temple of the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, you'll see those 
two-headed eagles on the front. You ever notice oh, those yeah. two-headed eagles? Oh, yeah. That's why the eagle, it's like the ancient Roman god Janus, who's got one face looking in each direction. The lesson is balance, mm-hmm. being able to wed justice and mercy and all those other and, opposites and, and that we need cool, both of the in cool life. The thing about justice yeah. and mercy is they're not in conflict. Not if you have them in balance. Well, not if you do it but right. But if you, if you do justice without mercy or mercy without justice, you're going to have problems. Well, and I think oftentimes <clears throat> what we see on the left and even on the right as well is that people want to substitute mercy for justice. And or mer- vice versa. Mercy, mercy is when someone hurts me and I decide to forgive them. That's mercy. When government does that, it's 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 a government official coming along and says, yeah, we know that he hurts you. We're going to forgive him. That's not mercy. That's mm. injustice. Yeah. Someone yeah. steals your car and the government d- decides to come along and say, you know what? We're going to be merciful to this guy. I know you got your car stolen, but it's just tough luck. Yeah. Well, that's not mercy. That's, that's, that's injustice. The government just became party to the theft. I went to a very famous prison in Yuma, Arizona. And they had faces of the first prisoners from before this country was was had a constitution or anything else where they were everyone was coming from Spain and Mexico mm-hmm. up to mm-hmm. uh, California and San this would have been in the time of Charles V. Yes. So, uh, but the the people in that community come together at the prison. And they were teaching these people how to read. They were teaching these people how to write. Many of these people were illiterate. Uh, they didn't have a trade. And they were having to steal and commit crimes to try to survive. And the com- community there is very proud of the history of that prison because those people were showing these people mercy and grace. And they were taking time out of their day and at times out of their lives to come and invest it to try to make it a better community. But uh, but people have to serve have to serve the time so that's some balance but i it's good to see well, you that. know to get to get back to sort of tie it into what we were talking about in the first hour with all the big shootings and stuff and and like i told you during one of the breaks i think rd the solution to the mass shootings isn't getting rid of guns the solution to the mass shootings is going to be to marry your child's parent, stay married to them, and raise that child in the fear of God and the love of Jesus. If you do that, you're not going to have a mass shooter on I your hands that, in your family. I think that pretty exactly well fixes right. the problem. I, I think you're right. And, and it's not easy. But, but you're gonna, it certainly isn't easy. But, but, but No comment. <laughs> well, 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 uh, My wife's listening. Well, uh, the thing is, though, that... that with 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 the left in control of education and such, how are you going to convince them that that this is acceptable when the when the schools are coming along? And I think some of them are now teaching people they can you can choose if you want to be a boy or a girl. Take it back. My word! Can you believe that government schools are doing that? Yeah, I can believe it. Uh, it just boggles my mind say, to say to a five-year-old, gee, and, and there are parents that are telling five-year-olds, yeah, you can choose whether you're a boy or a girl. Which, yeah, it's come child, on now. It's child abuse to, yeah, to define them. Do, do you, do you <laughs> ask your five-year-old say. if he wants to brush his teeth? Do you ask your five-year-old? Well, these if, people may. Maybe. Do, do you ask your five-year-old if he wants to wipe when he goes to the bathroom? <laughs> well, there's an example I mean, for you. What do you, what, we'll find something fun and exciting to talk about in the next hour, but 
I guarantee it's not likely to be five-year-olds' bums. <laughs> Thank you for being with us, Paul and R.D. Another exciting hour with the panel to go when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Make a note of the number, 8230965. We'll take your calls next hour if you'd like to join us in our ramblings on the culture of the day, the Constitution of the United States, or the upcoming whatever's going to happen next. You got Carl Kimball here sitting in for the legend, Dave Ellswick, who will be back with us tomorrow. And we have his usual Tuesday panel, Paul Calvert, Artie Hopper. Glad to have you with us today. Thanks, sir. And we've had a wide-ranging discussion. You're welcome to join if you'd like to call us at 823-0965. Put one of these guys in their place. They're pretty strong-willed, but they may be amenable to reason if you want to call in and give them a different side of events. Sure. We've been talking about the middle class. We've been talking about today being Constitution Day. What a glorious, glorious thing it is that we're a country that's got a middle class. I think we may. I don't know whether we have a middle class because we got a Constitution or we got a Constitution because we've got a middle class. But we have always, as Victor Davis Hanson pointed out in that article earlier, we have always been. Uh, kind of a middle-class country. People came over here. They didn't come over to be peasants or serfs. They came over to be free men. Yeah, and they knew it wasn't going to be easy. They weren't looking for a handout. They knew there wasn't going to be a government over here to to uh, give them subsidies if they had a hard year. They came here uh, and took a risk. They took a risk and got on a boat and went somewhere they'd never been before. And you read, you read about some of these people. It seems like they worked like dogs. Well, they had to when you're when you're breaking in the frontier. And, and you're, Lord, I'm glad and, and, I'm not on the frontier. Well, you know, you'll see a post sometimes on Facebook about somebody's got a skinny horse or something like that or a skinny dog. Years ago, there were skinny people. Yeah, because they were working so hard and they were starving. Mm. And 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 I think that would have been somewhat common here in America for some of these farmers. They were working like dogs. Some of my own ancestors indeed followed a very, very similar path to that of the family of uh, the first Grand Master of Masons in Arkansas. His family, his name was Gilchrist, and his family came from Scotland because things weren't good in Scotland at the time. They had too many people, too little work. Mm. Young men left the country of their birth, left everything they knew, sailed halfway around the world to a place that was barely barely pulled out of the wilderness itself yet and had to work like dogs they went they came to North Carolina and this is a this is a common path for many of the scotch irish whose uh ancestors or whose descendants include many of those here in arkansas like my own family they they came from scotland to north carolina started building a new world for themselves, a new life for themselves in North Carolina. And what they do in the next generation, the next generation of young men after that got up and pulled up stakes and went to Tennessee. Exactly. And started carving out a brand new life in Tennessee. And then then Gilchrist, back uh, not long before the Civil War, he decides – he decides that that now that he, that Tennessee's getting settled down and getting Go civilized, yeah. it's time to move on. And then from Tennessee to Arkansas, North Carolina uh, and, to Tennessee, and you, you look at to some Arkansas. of these people. They were they were moving out of the cities, moving out of the city life, and they would make the poor people of today 
look like rich kings. Oh. The, 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 the hardships that these people had, from what I understand, were pretty severe, but they wanted it. They, they chose in, it. They went into the wilderness to carve civilization out of wilderness. I, I now, that's a lot of back-breaking work. I try to picture, you know, coming over to Arkansas. You know, there was virgin timber everywhere. Mm-hmm. All of these rice fields, all the corn fields. You had to get rid of the stumps I, I, first, then. That's you? exactly right. I don't know if you people have heard of plowing new ground before. They, they were but getting that's rid of, a saying. They were getting Stone rid County of those too. stumps with no dynamite. That's too. exactly right. Cut down the trees with cross saw, <clears> dig out the stumps, stumps by hand. and start making fields to you know, plant gardens in and to plant crops in with no heavy equipment like that i have at my business today Mm -hmm. to me it's unimaginable the the uh, woodsman's axe was a symbol of civilization yeah it brought civilization to the wilderness even just if it it wasn't hasn't been that long ago when people would load logs by hand my family did yeah i mean and even people loading pulpwood you cut the logs about eight feet long, and you, and you pick it up and throw it on a truck. My grandfather told my grand my great grandfather was in the logist industry, and my grandfather worked in the logist industry in Stone County. And they would take tents and go out to people that wanted to harvest the trees off <clears> their <throat> land, and they would stay in tents and had cross saws and axes and mules, mm-hmm. and would cut down trees. And dig up the stumps and and haul them out with mules and take them to the sawmill. That's my grandfather. And live in a tent while you were getting the job done. So I I don't think I have anything. No electricity. No running water. And and working for wages that would be like, what, 10% of minimum wage today? If that with, with, with and the, for with entertainment, power, you'd whip perhaps. out your harmonica. <laughs> That's, or maybe you might even read a book. <laughs> yeah, maybe. you know, it's amazing how smart we were talking about the Constitution. Isn't amazing the education and the foresight that those men had, and there was not a public education system for them to learn it. In. How else would they learn it? It was a remarkable, remarkable period because, as we were discussing earlier, through. All the history of mankind, there were so few examples of human freedom. The Greeks were our cultural forebears. You know, the ancient Greeks had a philosophy that as long as he respected his neighbor's right to do the same, that every man should be able to live as he pleased. Wow. This was a very, very different philosophy of life than the other peoples that surrounded them. If the Greeks had lost the Battle of Salamis, that would have been, let's see, about 480 B.C. If the Greeks had lost the Battle of Salamis to the great king Xerxes, Xerxes would have enslaved or killed all the Greeks, and there would have gone like that, the one spark of democracy that inspired the generations of our founding fathers to come up with a new form of government. Republics had not been tried very often. You know, the the four longest-lasting republics in history, uh, Venice was the longest-lasting. It lasted 1,000 years. Mm-hmm. It was founded about, about 800 A.D. and was crushed by Napoleon about 1800 A.D. So, so, wow. So historically speaking, there's there's been the the concept of a republic has been around for plato 
thousands of years, what, three, four thousand years now? The Republic, the, 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 the Romans had a Republic. Theirs was the third longest lasting. The Republic of Ragusa, like Venice, was a city-state on the Adriatic Sea. Uh, it's got a different name today. It's not called Ragusa. Today it's uh, senior moment here, mm. Dubrovnik. Mm. I wouldn't the, have known that one on either. The, but, on the coast. So, so – they lasted about 800 So I have years. a little bit of a wow. history question. T- today, our democratic republic system is essentially set up as a corporation. It's, mm-hmm. it's, we've, got, um, uh, we've got executives. We've got, we have um, people make them, making the rules. We have, a, we have a board, if you will, mm-hmm. in many cases, in the, in the form of a legislative body, perhaps. Um, were they set up the same way? Throughout history, were they set up with the notion of this? Well, the idea of a republic, what makes it a republic, is that people are elected to represent the people. And and it's not a hereditary rule, but it's a rule by the representatives of the people. And uh, you had in the Roman Republic, of course, is the example that— that we're probably most familiar with. The Roman Republic's founded in 509 B.C. when they kicked the last king of Rome out, Mm. and they establish a republic. Now, it was a republic with a limited franchise, but nonetheless, it was a republic where you had certain rights to vote, and and you had elected representatives who had Mm. limited terms who then would serve in various capacities of the government. And if you were good, the various offices of the Roman Republic got to be fewer and fewer as you got to the higher and higher ones. But even when you got to the highest office, consul, you had two of them. It would be like as if you had two presidents. Mm. And, you, you, and never, they, you never never had one And, and they, one would, they, would, they would rule on opposite huh. days. You know, sometimes. Well. <laughs> so, so did they have the concept of this new organization i.e. the government as being its own person not sure i follow you on that so, paul you mean being something that could be have its own existence that right would, so well they they gave they gave their allegiance to rome above their allegiance to their clan or to their right. uh, or to their family. I guess, I guess what I'm getting at. So what we Best have way. what we have today in America they, is the, the idea of patriotism. The very word patriotism comes from Latin. Well, it's, yeah, patriotism is uh, love of the, the fatherland. The, 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 and so the um, but what I'm what I guess what I'm asking is that so today government is its own person. So if if a government official violates me in some ways, in some way, in many cases, I'm not really allowed to sue that person individually i have to sue the government as the government as as an entity because it was working right and so Mm -hmm. when did that concept come about or or does your no i'm i'm not sure that your your historical knowledge i'm not not sure that i can i'm not sure that that i could answer that i do know that when the roman republic finally ended it was like that frog being boiled in water that uh, you were talking about earlier because uh when they they had the traditional date for the end of the republic's 29 uh, or 28, 29 B.C. So you got 480 years of a republic. That's what, what are we around 240 now, right? So we're at 242 count, if you count from 243 if you count from 1776. So we got to go from mm. 243 to 480 to catch up with third place mm. and longest lasting <laughs> republic. But uh, when their republic ended, 
the guy that ended it, the Emperor Augustus, ended it by convincing everybody that everything was returning to normal and we were going to restore the republic and we were going to restore the Republican uh, various uh, institutions and bring them back into existence again after this terrible hundred years of civil war that Rome survived through. And when Augustus established what we call the Roman Empire, the Romans of the day would have thought, well, the Republic's been restored. The difference is the Republic was restored, but one guy was in charge, and one (laughs) guy got to decide if you lived or if you died. Imagine that. We better take our um, mid-half-hour break now, so we got a couple minutes to talk when we get back. And uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, 8230965, and we'll be back with the panel for the next segment just shortly. Welcome back for more stimulation. You're here on the Dave Ellswick Show with no Dave, sorry, but you got Carl and Paul and R.D. And, and man, we've been going around and around on some stuff here, even during the break, about corporations and private entities and personal, got, personal responsibility. Yeah, you know, I felt a little more comfortable talking about the Roman Republic, frankly. But, <laughs> but uh, if you want to get down to personal responsibility, yeah, Paul, let's talk about corporations. Go ahead and, go ahead and, and finish your thought, Paul, okay, about so, corporations, so, so, separate entities. So this, this idea, this is kind of a beef that I have, I guess, is that I can go out or some, some person can go out and start a corporation mm-hmm. for the express purpose of shielding themselves from accountability if they make a mistake in their business. I've done it. And so, and it's a common thing. Have you thing. done it already? And, and, and there's, sometimes there's good reasons for it because we don't trust the government. Mm. Because the government is evil. The government will, will um, sometimes... That's the main purpose of my corporation is, is to, protect to protect me from you, the government. Is protect you from, from government overreach. And I, and I understand that. But the very concept <clears throat> of allowing this to be a reality <clears throat> is that Let's say somebody starts a nursing home, and they don't. They start a corporation to run the nursing home with, and if the nursing home works good and and, and everybody survives and they don't hurt anybody, well, this corporation is profitable, and the person who owns the corporation can take can get take payment from it. They can. But if this if this nursing home um, manages to hurt some people, well. It's supposed this, to limit your this liability. corporation can shield the mm-hmm. – the, um, You can just bribe a judge. Well, can, we're getting, well there's that too. <laughs> we're, we're, getting, we're getting kind of far off into the weeds right. of, of legal things when, when, right. when we get into this. But, right. but, you know, while the corporation is structured to protect the owner of the right. corporation against uh, personal liability, mm-hmm. it's not an absolute protection. It's not. You're if right. You, if you want to have proof of that, just read this article about what's happening with Purdue Pharma, the family that was behind Purdue Pharma's over-pushing of opioid drugs – uh, besides having to divest themselves of the corporation that was making them filthy rich, mm. now they're they're going to lose the corporation completely. And the latest uh, that I've seen is that that they have a settlement that they were going to have to come up personally out of their own pockets. The family is going to come up with something like three billion dollars out of their personal pockets wow. in addition to giving up the entire corporation. Now, there, I also I also I also have read that that some of the attorneys general involved in this suit 
don't think that they're coughing up $3 billion out of their personal pockets is sufficient, mm-hmm. and so they're declining to sign on to the settlement. So, wow. so these people, I don't know that they'll necessarily uh, end up losing every penny they've got. I don't know if they, I don't know enough about the case to know if they mm-hmm. really deserve to lose every penny they've okay. got. Certainly, they played a very key role and vastly, vastly enriched themselves by participating in a in a way of doing business that turned out to have very negative consequences for many people throughout our country and for the nation as a whole. And I think that whatever the final outcome, they're going to end up taking a pretty huge hit in their personal finances, too. So the corporation isn't going to save you against egregious right. misdeeds. Right. It might it's, protect it's, you against being stripped of all your personal assets and your retirement and your ability to get by based on an accident. But if you were egregiously and criminally involved in something, then then it fails to protect you. If you open a nursing home and you decide, well, I don't like that patient, so you go and murder him, the corporation is not going to protect you there. It doesn't have to even be that bad. No, it doesn't have to be that bad. But, 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 But you can be neglectful. In mm. some respects, and and well, you can, mistakes happen. Mistakes, do mistakes happen, happen. Right. and mistakes and, and, and were and the, made. And, right. Right, exactly. and people should be held responsible. <laughs> but but they're not a crook. No, you know? no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I am not a crook. Right, so, right. And, and that's and, what we have and, a judge to decide. People have a right to know right. whether their radio talk show host is a crook. <laughs> and I'm here to assure you today that your radio talk show host is not a crook. <laughs> uh, and so that's just kind of a a. a, a, a it's just interesting to me that we've come to this, and I, and I can understand why people would do it because the fact is that that um, your business already can can um, could be sued based upon a mistake that your employee made, and that's that's a problem. And, so and he's responsible for and that. I, I am responsible right. for it. And that's Maybe the way I the way I look at it. You know, I'm I'm responsible for everything that happens in in mm-hmm. my business. I look at it that way, and. You know, you train people and you monitor them, but a larger a business gets. I'm a small business, so I, I see things pretty close, but a larger corporation gets. You can do the best training and the best safety. And sometimes something and, happens and sometimes to you that's beyond your control. It's beyond somebody's control. And you still have to eat it because you're the guy whose name's on the license. That's exactly right. But that's the reason we have judges and that we have uh, – have uh, judicial systems to decide if if people were putting people at risk uh, consciously or if it was a mistake if people knew about it. But so you know, th- then you get into tort reform. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's a little bit when you get into tort reform is where oh you're you going to rankle some of our attorney friends now yeah that's exactly well, right. so you have limited so you have you limit the liability so you decide basically what you know grandma was worth or if mm-hmm. someone loses their arm then you have elected officials basically deciding mm-hmm. well our elected what officials have put a worth on each limb of our body <laughs> it's uh, all tied to workers compensation mm-hmm. law it's, it's statutorily determined mm-hmm. what your exactly arm is right. worth what your leg is worth so it's already what your eye is worth exactly which which so. is actually sort of valuable because then it then you have actual equality then you don't have these massive yeah, but i don't trust them to make that I don't, decision. I don't trust them either but 
I'd rather have my peers. Personally, I'd rather have my peers decide. Than I'm I with William F. Buckley. I would rather be ruled by the first 2,000 names in the phone book <laughs> than by any 2,000 politicians you could you round up. Right. Thanks for listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. Paul Calvert and R.D. Hopper, we've had all kinds of stuff to talk about yep. today, uh, not just the news of the day, but gotten into some deep philosophy mm-hmm. here. And uh, Paul was awful agitated about corporations being able to well, to just, do things to just, you and not hold an individual responsible. It's, but it's just kind, in, of, it's in just kind end, of interesting in different in – different, the way it applies in different ways, and, pe- and people – use it as a as a basis for philosophy in general i mean just the the idea that that um it 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 applies in so many different ways that an organization can become its own person it's not it's not just a corporation i can tell you about my corporation isn't going to shield me from one bit of liability (laughs) if i screw up as an insurance agent my corporation probably isn't even going to be involved. Now, my errors and omissions insurance company might be involved. Mm-hmm. But if I screw up as an insurance agent, that corporation's not going to do a bit of good, really, mm-hmm. in protecting me from uh, and protecting me from the consequences of yeah. my ill-considered actions. Uh, what it does for me is it gives me a way to structure my finances as a way to pay mm-hmm. less taxes. Well, and I think and that's, that's, that's the purpose. That's right. the primary purpose of a that, corporation that's, for that's Carl. A, that's, that's a, and that's if you don't pay your taxes, it won't shield oh, you from that oh, either. No, no, I pay my taxes. <laughs> no, I yeah, see, and and I, I, pay, I pay two accounting fees every year, and mm-hmm. I pay taxes for me, and I pay taxes for the corporation. corporation right. right. And so that, but the corporation doesn't have to pay much tax because the corporation doesn't really make much money because they pay me what little profit they make, and then i got to pay... Right, it, I, mean, I got to pay taxes it, on that profit. It sets but, it sets up your your um, the way you get paid differently than. Yeah, it's that's mm-hmm. it's way more complicated than it have to has to be, mm-hmm. but but it has to be because otherwise the feds will come in, swoop in, and pick up every nickel that mm-hmm. I can manage to squeeze out of business. Right, and, so there's, there's different reasons why people have corporations. And I, and take I, it to give to illegal and aliens. I, and I, well, I understand that, <laughs> or, or college professors who can't figure out if they're a boy or a girl. And uh, oh, Lord but, help uh, us. Right. No, and so, and so it's it's just a uh, um, it's an issue that's just kind of interesting, and, and the 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 topic that it came up on was um, about the notion of collective rights. Mm-hmm. And um, believe it or not, this was a fairly conservative man who was advocating for the idea of collective rights, and the the. To me, that 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 just really smacks. You're talking about communism. The, the rights that you have because you're a white man, uh, or because you're a man, or, or because you're an Arkansan, as opposed to the rights you have because you're Paul Calvert, child of God. Well, I, I guess the 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 idea that a group of people can have rights that supersede. The rights of an individual and the group. Well, see, now you're talking about the Democratic Party. Well, because that's, that's what they're entirely well, and based that, and on, that, and that's, is that's, slicing and dicing us. And that's and that's kind of what what was kind of somewhat concerning in this conversation that I was having with this <clears throat> with this individual was that he was he was applying this concept of collective rights mm-hmm. in the sense that an organization can have personhood. Under the law, under the law, just but he but he was actually arguing for it philosophically. Mm. The the idea that 
the, an organization. Well, I don't belong to any corporation of white men or anything right, like that right, myself. But, 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 but the, the idea was – At least the, not as the, such. It, it, was, it was establishing philosophically that a group can have its own identity that has rights as opposed to – each individual well, see, having that's, rights. You're, you're talking about the, the, the whole philosophy <laughs> on communism. which the Democratic Party is currently based. And, because that, and that's it, what's, it, it's not so much an overarching philosophy of, of how government should be run as much as it is a coalition of the aggrieved. We have, uh, uh, have African Americans. You're aggrieved. You can only help by going in with us so we can use the power of government to solve your grievances because you're not good enough, smart enough, strong enough to solve your own grievances and so without gonna, our help. We're gonna, we're and gonna, women, women, you cannot have equality before the law. You can't have a satisfactory life unless we come in and protect you because you're aggrieved. And then we have the LGBTQ question mark people, and, and they are aggrieved because they've been terribly put upon and only by, by throwing in collectively with the Democratic Party and its coalition of that's, groups of the aggrieved can you be made whole again by the power of government. That's divisive. That's dividing oh, this. Amen that's very amen, divisive. Amen. That's dividing this country. It's amen. not all men are created equal uh, under God and and it's very divisive. And what scares me is whenever they start coming out with all these hate crimes to where you're going to look at every individual different and start analyzing. Yeah. The, the, Your crime against me is worse because I am gay than it would have been if I were heterosexual. Exactly. So if this group does something against that group or this group or that group, guys, we just need to go back to oh, the Constitution. Thank you. And thank all, you. we're all Americans. We're all in the same playing field. And, I'm and taking we all my got hat the off same rights. And, and that's because. I'm, uh, I'm taking my hat off to you because that is the purpose of me bringing up Constitution Day in the first place. The way out of our troubles is to have our government recognize each and every one of us as an individual with individual rights and an individual standing before the law and before the government. We are not part of a group. We are Americans by God. And because we're Americans, that's enough. We don't have to be African Americans. We don't have to be queer Americans. You're important because you're human. We're Americans. And yeah. that's enough. And that's, yeah. and, and that's, and that's kind of what That's I was, the only way we'll and, and, bring this country together. Well, and that's kind of, kind of part of this discussion I was having with this individual was whether or not a, a group could basically have rights that superseded the rights of an individual and so does, does you know what he needs to do he needs to get a job <laughs> he needs to start a company he needs to go to work every day i mean who has time to sit around and think about all this crazy stuff uh, hillary clinton or guys or, who can talk on the radio all day uh, well, there's, there's that i, I there's, mean there's yeah, that and, and it's it's just the 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 idea though but but i think it sets the foundation or a philosophy that that um, that establishes things like communism and socialism, and you know, is this going to be good for the for the group? Even though it's going to violate his rights over there, it, but it's okay because it's good for the group. All people the are needs created of the equal. many outweigh the needs need. of the few. Right. Uh, the need, the, right, the, the, Kirk? the the needs <laughs> or the preferences of the many outweigh the rights of the few. And so, yeah, there's a problem. So maybe we have one man who works hard and is diligent. And he he um, he stores up food for the winter. But there's a bunch of other. Are you people talking over about here. the grasshopper and the ant? Well, there's that. 
<laughs> and, and so, and so, the, does the grasshopper now have have the right to go and steal from the ant? Well, no. If he's a Democrat, he thinks so. Well, I, I suppose so. And but does that mean that the ant can just hoard all of his food and let the grasshopper starve? Well, you know, as, as as people, I don't think I should let my neighbor starve if I can feed him through the winter. But I don't think I have to give it to him for free. Mm. I, I think that you know, maybe morally speaking, I have a duty to not let him starve to death. Where does your morals come from? From God, and that's okay. and that's the thing is that, and that's <laughs> the thing is that that I I think I have a duty not to let him not to let him starve to death. But I don't think I have a duty to necessarily just give it to him when he when he was lazy through the summer when we were supposed to be working, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of the difference I think <clears throat> in that a lot of times we we do a bad t- bad job of articulating that you know what we should be charitable and we should be willing to help <clears throat> people, but I don't think that helping people always means that we should just give it to him for for free. A lot of times. It's very reasonable to say, you know what, I'm going to help you out right now, but you're going to have to work for this. Well, there's some philosophy to chew on. Why don't we go ahead and take our uh, mid-half-hour break now so we'll have time to steam through to the end of the panel segment. Uh, Thank you for a very interesting discussion. We'll be back to wrap it up and put a bow on it after these important messages. Okay, we're back on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave today, and I'm just talking with my buddy Paul Calvert. We're getting into some deep, deep stuff, talking about about people's rights and obligations and people's need to be responsible for themselves if they're going to expect to enjoy the benefits of a democracy. Your thoughts, Paul? Well, and I think personal responsibility <laughs> is is kind of the uh, you can't have freedom if you don't have personal responsibility and and we're just doing a very very bad job at personal responsibility and freedom at the same time and I, and I think that's one of the things that um that causes Americans to be afraid of liberty especially in in, in the marketplace is that we do a terrible job of holding people accountable because we just especially don't have, our politicians well there's there's politicians but even even just people in general and so I think a lot of landlords would tell you that they don't uh, it's not worthwhile to sue a lot of tenants who leave owing $1000 or owing $2000 because it'll the, cost you more than that to collect. Yeah, the judicial system is just not is not um is not functional enough to be able to to collect on that debt because we we just don't have the tools. The 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 judicial system is too dysfunctional. I had the great displeasure back Probably 35 years ago now, I had the great displeasure of having my one encounter with small claims court where mm-hmm. someone had someone had just ripped my wife off, and I just said, I'm not going to stand for this. Mm-hmm. You know? and so I took him to small claims court, and he didn't bother to show up, so I won. Right. And then I found out that you know my, ex, my additional expenses to get what was coming to me had only just begun. And, of course, I did in the end, as you might already have guessed, I had far less pro, uh, far less experience in chasing down bums than this bum had in, in eluding creditors, Hello. and he had everything structured in such a way Hello. that you couldn't get to him. And, and, and so, so, so we don't have a system in place to hold people accountable effectively. <clears throat> so, therefore, what we do is that we we um, empower government to take people's rights away. And so, instead of having a system that says, you know, what, Paul Calvert, <clears throat> if you go and and um, 
cut this person's tree down. Let me use a different example. Let's say, Paul Calvert, if you go and cut this person's hair and you somehow hurt them a little bit. Nip their ear off, perhaps. Just well, a corner, maybe. Just a and corner so, of and it. So, <clears throat> well, we're going to hold you accountable. You're going to have to make that person as whole as possible. And, um, and so that would be a reasonable thing for government to do. You know, Paul Calvert, you hurt this guy. you got to pay for his medical bills and to, to, to make him better. That's yeah, a reasonable thing. worth 5000 bucks or whatever. Maybe, maybe so. And so, and so, but no, you know what government has done, done instead? Government has decided that, you no, know, Paul Calvert, you're not allowed to cut hair unless you get a license. <laughs> and you're, to go, in order to get this license, you've got to go to school for, I think, nine months? You know, it doesn't make well, any difference that you already know how to cut the hair. The haircutters lobby, you know, wants to keep the competition sure. down. That's well, and, 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 and I think that's stuff. that's a big part of it, and so that and that's unfortunate. But I think part of the part of the argument is that, well, it, it's people are going to they're just going to hurt people, and, and and well, we can't trust government to hold them accountable. I think that's part of the fear is that there's not a good track record with government holding people accountable effectively. Therefore, we can't just tell people. Well, we have a court system to hold people accountable. Therefore, let's try liberty. We don't have a court system to hold well, people accountable. You, you, you know, liberty. you can't. Government can't do everything, <laughs> and it can't solve all the problems. You know, government can only rule, you know, a righteous people or people that have a moral compass. You know the what, government Jim? cannot be the moral compass of, of the entire nation. Well, and here's, here's, here's something scary. Back 220 years ago, approximately, John Adams, our second president, said, our system of government is suited to a moral and religious people and will suffice for no other. And that's exactly right. People have forgotten that. And if we've lost our religion and lost our morality, then our Constitution is not going to work in the way it was designed. That's exactly right. It never was intended to legislate morality. It never was. And you can't legislate morality. You cannot do it. So uh, unless we get back our moral compass and we have the sense of authority from right and wrong and the golden rule, and you know what? Sometimes you just have to be defrauded. Sometimes Sometimes somebody beats you. You know what? I've heard people tell me, I gave I loaned this to that guy and he didn't give it back to me. Well, who do who's the stupid one here? Who's the one that loaned it to yeah, him? I've, I've and, learned that lesson and, before. And if, if you help once. somebody, if you help somebody, there is liability involved in helping and, someone. And nowadays, if someone says, "Can you loan me fifty bucks?" I'll say, "No, but I'll give you a gift of twenty. That's exactly don't expect right. It back. Just write it off and just write and it off it back. and don't worry about it. It's not the government's job to solve all our problems. And if we make decisions that puts us between the rock place, if you hire a company and hey, uh, you don't do a background check, let's say, hey, did you get a list of customers and call the customers that they did business with, and uh, did you ask a reference from your neighbor who would be the best person to do with? But since you didn't do your research and since you just decided to pick the first person that come along, then you would think that it's the government's job to solve that problem? It, it's not so, necessarily, but we do have a court system that if you can find the person, the, the the courts should have the tools to hold them accountable. But we haven't done that. We've decided that, well, we're, we're yeah. going to be civilized, and we've, we've taken away a lot of the, the functional tools 
that would hold people accountable. See, and now we've kind of circled around back to the beginning of our conversation because something terrible happens. There's a shooting. Everybody feels terrible about it. We don't want this to ever happen again. If there's any way we can prevent it, we want to do something. So we go to the government. We say, do something. And Mm -hmm. all the somethings that they do may not do a thing to solve the problem. There's a mass shooting. Mm -hmm. There's a new gun law. But most of the time, the new gun law would never have prevented the thing that caused us to be all up in arms in the first time. While in the meantime, the new gun law may leave us more and more vulnerable to attack from other other countries, perhaps, or even from our own government. Do you want the freedom to make a mistake? Or the next crazy to walk down the street. Sure, that too. That's exactly right. right. Because the the fact is that that the, 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 the firearm has really made it possible for people who are not big and strong to be able to defend, to defend themselves against people who are big and strong. You know, 500 years ago, if a if a 250-pound man comes up against a 90-pound woman and he decides to rape her, there's not much she can do about it. Just not much she can do about it unless, you know, just not much. I mean, she, she could maybe pull a knife on the guy and surprise him, but the fact is that, that brute strength is, is nearly impossible to to um, overcome, but with a handgun. And and to a large degree, in those days, we lived in a world that was ruled by brute strength. And it's augmented by technology, but it would be denying the obvious to say that we're not, to a great degree, ruled by brute strength today. Of course we are. We have our freedoms because we have a government that's strong enough to keep the people that would love to take what we have away from us, they're just not strong enough to do well, it. Uh, unfortunately, there, and part of that's us be. all being armed. Well, well, there, there, there's, there's that, but then the government now mm-hmm. is one of those people that takes our freedoms away from us. Well, they, that's the reason we have a Second Amendment. And, and that's the reason that's, we have that in mm-hmm. the Constitution. And, and I think that's a, it's a powerful tool to help prevent um, – some of these things that we're seeing in other countries where their where their governments are taking over and, and killing them or, or taking severe advantage of them because leaving them helpless you know if if all you can do is throw rocks at a tank protest with an umbrella yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, it, in hong kong i feel so <laughs> sorry for those people in hong kong because in the end they don't have a chance because the chinese communist government has got too many guns, too many tanks, too many soldiers that will do what they say because they have to or die. And those people in Hong Kong, the, the British, we talked about those vile British once upon a time, mm-hmm. that for all of their faults, they did an awful lot of good, too. The British gave those people a taste of freedom and of capitalism. And, and that, that was an interesting part of of and home. then when they pulled out, they, they they told the Chinese, they made the Chinese promise to leave them alone for 50 years. That was 20 years ago, mm-hmm. not a little over 20 years ago, the British told them, but leave the making, system alone for 50 and that, years. That was interesting. That the, So if they win, they're slaves in another 30 years anyway. Uh, and so the thing is that that was even even kind of oddball for the British because Hong Kong was a British colony 
uh, but, sorts. Well, they but they had a lease. They have they they had a hundred year lease on from, it from China. From China, they defeated China in an opium war. And and as part of the terms of China's they got, surrender they got at a time when China years, was extremely weak, hmm. they got Hong Kong, the Portuguese got Macau in a similar <laughs> but, fashion. But this, this guy from Stone County will tell you this, though. <clears throat> Nobody can make anyone do anything that they don't want to do. No one can. If those people want to go out in the country and leave their color televisions and leave their cars and leave their penthouses and go back to the woods and go back and live the way their ancestors lived, then guess what? China's not going to be too interested in it because the only reason China wants it is because they produce money and yep. they produce yep. goods. Because They're the works. goose that lays the golden oh, that's egg, right. that's why they and want the it. Chinese are trying to rule it. With an iron fist without killing it. That's exactly right. Well, it's been fun being on the panel with R.D. and Paul, two of my favorite people. I just uh, always feel like it's a tremendous privilege to be here in Dave's chair, and I thank him for letting me be with the panel today. And, boy, I tell you, I hope that I get a chance to see you. I am scheduled right now, unless Dave has a change, I'm scheduled to be back the next two Tuesdays. So wow, all right. I'm hoping I get a chance that to visit with you guys again, and we'll see if the schedule changes. But as of right now, 24th and the 1st, I'll be in for Dave and look forward Enjoy to being it. with you guys again. Be here or be square. <laughs> all right. Thanks to all of our listeners. We hope that you'll stay tuned. The Bible Guys will be coming up right after the top of the hour news. It's still a portion. It still would have been read. All right. What an honor and a privilege it is to get to sit in for my buddy and Arkansas's best talk show host, Dave Ellswick, on a Tuesday afternoon. And uh, had a lot of fun so far, but now we're coming into what's one of my favorite hours of the Dave Ellswick show all week long. I love it when he has the Bible guys on. There's so much to talk about, so much to learn, so much I've got to learn. I'm looking forward to learning from you guys this afternoon. And we've got the usual suspects here but just before we <laughs> before we get started out so i don't mess up anybody's name i want to let each one of you introduce yourself and the church that you're uh, affiliated with and then we'll get on into the questions for the bible guys today you want to start steve well uh, i was gonna let scott since he's the head pastor all right we'll let scott start well my name is uh dr scott stewart i'm the senior pastor of agape church here in little rock 701 napa valley drive um, Steve Hess, I'm not currently pastoring at church. Uh, I'm out at Agape with Pastor Scott and I moved out there a few years ago to help with the Bible college that's out there called the American Institute. And I am Billy Miller. And on Sundays, you can find me at the uh, England campus of Agape Church. And uh, my primary flock these days is at Tucker Maximum Security Prison. Interesting. How's that? That's a tough crowd, I'll bet. <laughs> Actually, it's one of the easiest crowds that I deal with, believe it, it or not. Really? Well, it absolutely is. Those guys are hungry. Because they'll look I you straight imagine. in the eye and tell you like it is. Yes. And yes. if you misquote scriptures, they'll remind you. <laughs> right in the middle of a sermon. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, really? Yeah, well, speaking of scripture, that's one of the big deals about this hour is we actually look at the scriptures of God's Word and talk yeah. about what it means to us. And I believe uh, that you said that you have some in hand yep. that you've already been asked to comment on. So, Steve, right. I'll let you go ahead and pick the first topic. Okay. Dave sent me this uh, earlier. It says, uh, I was wondering if you could help me with a question about love and war. I think both Mr. Ellswick and Steve are former soldiers. How do you guys balance between a warrior and loving everyone? I mean, if shooting someone will send them to hell forever, how does that work in your mind and heart? And what do you consider the difference between a career soldier and a warmonger? 
I'm not trying to be provocative with my question. I simply am just curious. I know you all are men of God, and so I'm truly looking forward to your answer. The world is so messed up regarding our military, and I fear some of that messed upness is making <laughs> its way into the church. Example would be Westwood Baptist Church. Mm. Well, I spent 21 years uh, in the military, and I was asked this question shortly after I got saved. I was in the military about five years when I got saved, and one of the guys I was in the military with asked me this very question. How do you reconcile this idea? Most of it, the idea how we have in the West is because we look at Jesus as a pacifist. And because he talks about praying for your enemies and turning the other cheek, we think that applies in every aspect of life. And if you just turn on the news or read a history book, you know that simply is not possible. Right. There's a verse that talks about um, that if you do not take care of your own, your family, that you're worse than an infidel. And in the and Jewish denied the faith, yeah. Yep, and denied the faith. And if in a Jewish mindset, um, that if if you do not defend um, your own, your family, your community, uh, and you allow evil to overtake your community, then the light of God will be snuffed out on the earth. And because we also have a an opposition view between Jesus and God, we don't realize that they're speaking in unity. Because God, what did God is command Israel to do? He told them to go to war with several nations. Right. He didn't tell them to leave any Amalekites Correct. alive, right. even their Correct. cattle. Yeah. We live in a world where there are wicked and evil men, and wicked and evil men um, need to be fought. And sometimes we have to defend our communities, our families, whatever the case is, against those men. They're not going away until the Lord comes back. I can't even fathom a mindset that if someone broke into your home— and said they were going to kill you and then rape your children and sell them into slavery, that you wouldn't do everything with every ounce of strength in your body to protect them and just go, well, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ, so have at it. I'll just turn the other cheek. Explicate a little on the Westwood part. Of it. Is that that church that, that that has about six members of right. the military funerals yes. to, right. to protest fallen soldiers? Yes, they, they go to the funerals of fallen soldiers and say they are dying as a result of homosexuality and other sins of other sins of America, I personally, if I was there, I would give them a chance to turn the other cheek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so my my response to that is that's my right. response to that is then um, what sins were the Revolutionary fighters paying for um, because they were dying there too, or what sins were pick any other war right. where, where soldiers have died? Um, the answer is this has to do with um, flesh versus flesh. Um, this is not pain for. Um, some sin that the the country has committed. I, I think when we finally pay that debt, uh, no one will have to look around and guess about whether or not we are paying the debt for our national sin. I, I think when that bill comes due, everyone will recognize um, that the bill has come due. Uh, as far as these people, um, I, I can't even call them Christian. Um, right. They sure give Baptists a bad they, name. They give yeah. everybody. They give everyone who calls on the name of the Lord a bad name. They period. give they give human beings a bad yeah. name. Yeah. yeah. You know, whenever um, just going into a um, an example given to us by by the Lord, if you recall, whenever whenever Jesus was going, um, they're either going into or going towards Jericho, mm-hmm. and he turns around, and he looks at his disciples, and he says, "How many swords do we have?" Mm-hmm. And they said, two. And he said, "That's enough. That'll be enough." Now, why would Jesus, first of all, ask the question? Uh, and why would it be enough to have two? I think what he was, they were going to slice bread. Right. He was yeah. going, they were going to protect and to defend themselves. 
And uh, two apparently was enough for the 13 of them to be able to defend themselves. But to to believe that Jesus was a pacifist is to have no concept of first century uh, life and what Jesus There's one passage where he says, uh, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Right. Well, it goes back to what Steve was saying about turning the other cheek. And actually, if you take that into context, the when it says if if someone offends you then you turn you know if they strike your cheek you turn the other one if they ask for your cloak you know you you give them one if they walk a mile then go with them two miles and so forth but that actually in um in in the original it actually says there that this is actually a brother it's right. not some guy that rides up with uh leather and chains with the crowbar going to beat you and your family to death and you say well, go ahead there's my, i have another child over here go ahead and beat him too Actually, it's a brother who has sinned against you. I think the, I think it actually says it, it relates to if they've not spoken to you in more than three days, if the offense is so great. So in other words, the idea is this. If hitting me on this cheek is going to restore our relationship, then hit this one too. Right. If, right. if, if fixing our relationship is, is going to – if me giving you my cloak is going to – fix our relationship then he right. would take my robe as well and, and this and, has everything to do with being insulted not standing there taking a beating right you know, th- this is it's this when is you, someone when, angry and and going just lashing out at you it, it's not you know it's when you take a, a, a middle eastern culture which is what the bible's written in you force it through a western sieve right you eliminate 2000 years of history and interpret it into the year 2019 you get this weird whacked out stuff like the westwood baptist church and right. this other stuff right. it's this when you when you decontextualize jesus his words his actions what did a first century rabbi mean when he said what he said not what has it become to mean with 20th first century evangelicalism right and i think well, this set of scriptures alone proves that um that the Bible was not written for a, a Western culture. After all, two guns is not enough for my uh, own use, much less my entire household or 13 dudes in Arkansas. That's all I'm saying. If we've only got two guns between the 13 of us, then we are seriously under gun. That, that, that's, uh, Thank you again, Scott, for giving me yet another opportunity to decry the lack of historical education yes. and knowledge mm-hmm. in our country. That's what we were talking about on and off for the first three hours right, of the program yeah. is how people just don't understand where our freedoms came from, mm-hmm. where our rights came mm-hmm. from. That's right. It, it just like we, you want to talk about the Second Amendment, right. that's not a right that's conferred upon us by the government that recognizes right. a right of self-defense that we're granted by God because we're individual children right. of right. God. And the only way any of that makes sense is if we actually, in modern day, understand the constitution from the prospect or the position that it was actually written in right we only understand that from the perspective when it was originally written the same thing is true with the bible you really only understand it if you reverse time and understand it from the perspective of the ones who actually wrote the text this is good stuff we want to get more into the history of what makes the bible relevant to us today we're going to take our break now so we got time to run with it when we come back you're listening to the dave ellswick show on 101.1 the answer thanks for being with us today all right gentlemen we're back welcome to the dave ellswick show we're to the funnest and most valuable and worthwhile part of the whole show i think some days well, it's I like the you, bible man. guys <laughs> and uh, scott steve and billy you guys have some more interesting questions that have been uh, emailed in for us to consider. Go ahead and take um, it away. They said, thank you for your comments last week. I will most certainly ask my questions without any hesitation in the future as well as today. Thank you. 
All churches say they speak the Word of God, and yet if we visited the churches in Little Rock this coming Sunday, they would all be preaching something different. Why might this be? Some churches within a certain denomination all have the same readings and sermons that are taught. Is that something that you guys might endorse? We can answer that so one that's before a we... couple of different pieces. Wants us all to turn Catholic, right? <laughs> Let's get the mass, the Latin mass out, right? Um, well, um, well, it's quite simple. Um, you'll recall, of course, that as Jesus traveled from place to place, um, he taught differently in each place. He didn't speak the same sermon in every town he went to. Uh, so the Spirit of God um, knows the congregation that's there. Every right. congregation is unique. Every congregation has certain issues. One congregation might be deeply in debt. One might be suffering with some uh, very personal issues with something that happened in leadership. Somebody else might be dealing with, you know, uh, a lot of, um, you know, um, marriage issues. I mean, every congregation is different. And so, therefore, the Spirit of God being a personal God is going to speak to those issues that are in that congregation. So, therefore, the Spirit of God will craft a sermon that is place specific people but specific, right. specific just so. as paul's letters addressed very different problems right. some some churches had a problem with gnosticism mm-hmm. others with infidelity yep, yep. and so the, the each letter is i think somebody once said that the 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 um <clears throat> the epistles are like the show jeopardy we have the answers mm-hmm. without knowing all the questions right. that are <laughs> right. being answered asked so yeah so it, it the reason why the sermons are different is because the congregations are different, and the Holy Spirit is um, God is a personal uh, God, and so therefore the messages are modified to meet the needs of the people at the time. So therefore, I don't think that the sermons should be the same. No, um, there are certain readings like the uh, like the Torah portions mm-hmm. um, uh, that c- can be uh, prescribed. But as far as uh, what the Lord is leading you as a sermon to teach, I think that would be different. Whether for different place. whether you're messianic or non-messianic and you follow what's known as the Torah portions which is the 54 breakdowns of the readings of moses if you go to a synagogue or you go to a non-believing synagogue or messianic synagogue even though they're all reading the same thing after every week you will have as scott was saying different uh, ministers being compelled by the spirit of god to do something different right even though they're all reading the same text you will hear different sermons in each one because of those very reasons he stated right right yeah so that's Got part two to this if okay so, and I think this will be right up Scott's alley since he's preaching a sermon oh. somewhere along these lines. Okay. Uh, what is the best way to understand pain and suffering, ah. brokenness? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess uh, you would think that we should have less of that in the church than outside the church, but it seems to be pretty much the same everywhere. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, pain and suffering. Um, so first of all, what you have to do is you have to uh, define pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we automatically think we know what pain and suffering is, but the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Right. But none of us believe that Jesus walked around sick. He didn't walk around, you know, with, uh, with cancer. He didn't walk around with, you know, with issues in his body. He didn't walk around depressed or with anxiety. He didn't walk around, you know, suffering financial lack. They didn't have food to eat. I mean, Suffering uh, for him would not have been what most people consider suffering. Right. So I think you have to quantify that. Now, there are su- certain things that are what we call uh, that God, uh, there's something, certain things that are, that are contained in what we call the atonement, that when Jesus came, he did certain things for us. Uh, for example, uh, the Bible tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says uh, that Jesus became sin for us. 
uh, and that we have now been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I have been made righteous because he took my sin upon himself. So, so now that part of my salvation, I can now lean on that part of it and not have to, to, to suffer uh, the punishment for unrighteousness because now Jesus is my righteousness. So there's certain things you have to define what is, what is um, going to be suffering. Uh, and uh, certainly Jesus suffered persecution. He suffered rejection. Uh, he suffered uh, disdain. Uh, and I think in that way we need to see that he said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I think we need to be be prepared for that rejection. You know, Billy Graham made a statement one time, and they asked him, they said, is there anything in your life that concerns you, Reverend Graham? And he said, yes. And they said, what's that? And he said, that the world likes me. Right. <laughs> See, why does the world like me? Why do papers print positive things about me? Yeah. Why does the media always speak well of me when I know that I'm supposed to be speaking evil of you know, you know, all of his colleagues around the country are all being spoken evil. They're trying right. to catch ministers all the time sp- saying something wrong or messing up. But for some reason, they didn't do that with him. And he said that was one of the m- things that concerned him most about his life in ministry is why he was liked so much. Yeah. And I, I, uh, the question was, shouldn't we see less of that in the church? And honestly, I think we should probably see more of it. Um, I am an enemy of the world, the world mm-hmm. system, if you will. So um, the Satan has no need um, to go out and attack someone who is living the way he wants them to live. Mm. However, those of us who stand in stark opposition to the world's system, to the world's values, we need to be, he needs to tear us down. Um, So we should expect, I always expect Satan to come after me. I expect him to have no power over me because I am a Holy Ghost filled man of God. He has no power over me, but that does not mean the fiery barbs aren't coming. Uh, it means I better be prayed up and ready when they do come. That's why the Bible says to put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand and to resist the, or to, uh, right. to have the shield of faith that we may be able to uh, quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I think that's a good point because I think what happens a lot of times in our world today and even in a lot of our churches, we have so whitewashed the mm-hmm. devil yeah. Yeah. that anything that bad happens, well, this is God's will for my life. Right. It's my cross to bear. It's my thorn in the flesh. Well, if that's what you believe, then you shouldn't take an aspirin and go to the doctor. Right. <laughs> Stay right. sick. Stay sick. And learn what God wants to teach you. But isn't it amazing? That, you know, God's trying to teach me something. Now you run to the doctor and go get a pill <laughs> okay. and get, get out of the will of to God. Make sure I don't have to learn that lesson. Right. I guess. It uh-huh. makes absolutely no sense. Right. If you Jeez. believe. He sent me three boats and a helicopter. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> right. I want. Yeah. So I think that, uh, but I, I think that the, uh, I was teaching on Sunday about living in the balance of wholeness and brokenness. And uh, that's what Steve was referring to. So the wholeness side is all the salvific things that Jesus did for us. He became as we were, that we might be as he is, the Bible says. Right. So all that wholeness that we have in him, we need to hold on to that and not let us let go of it. But then there's a broken side of being able to say, Father, I, I'm at the end of myself. I, without you, I can do nothing and expect God to, uh, to, to break through on our behalf. Amen. And now were they talking about... There should be less pain and suffering in the church, meaning Christian on Christian pain and suffering. Yes, there should <laughs> yes. be a lot less of there that. There should be a lot less of that yeah. compared to the world. Yeah. But when you go to the different places around the world and try and preach the gospel, there are people who are having a lot of pain and suffering and um, going without food, going without a place to sleep, getting killed, being yeah. persecuted far more than people making funny on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that actually should be expected, and that's what Pastor Scott was referring to about yeah. Billy Graham is that, and Billy is we were we should be disliked yeah. uh, for what we represent. 
Interesting. Well, you don't join Christianity to become popular, do you? No, you're not. No. And, uh, was it uh, Wigglesworth or somebody said Christ is the only one that bids a man to come and die? No, that was uh, Bonhoeffer. Oh, Bonhoeffer. When, when when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's right. He, he doesn't ask for much, just everything. Just your he life. who's willing to lose his life is the one who's going to find it. That's right. So that, But we should be expected to live beyond the pain of depression and sadness when That's we right. have the greatest joy in our lives. Absolutely. So a lot of things that people might quantify as pain— uh, we would say, yeah, you should have less pain if you're a believer than in the world has. But uh, the question doesn't define exactly what pain they're, they're referring to. And even to. the um, um, those who were being persecuted in the first century were singing yeah. uh, as yeah. they were being killed. So they're burning at stake. They're singing songs to God. Yeah. He told us that he came to bring us salvation. We'll have it. And we'll discuss it more after this break. We've got to pay some bills, get the bottom of the news hour. Be back with the Bible, guys. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball here sitting in for Dave today. And, man, I've been enjoying the last and most wonderful hour of the Dave Ellswick <laughs> Show. That Even the conversation during the breaks is a uh, is pretty enlightening. I wish we had time to get more into <laughs> that. But you have another question Sent in by an avid listener, I believe, Steve. Yes, they, they said, uh, what do you all think of Dennis Prager's Rational Bible? Hmm. I'm interested and, in hearing your take on that. I've not read it yet. Neither, you heard about neither it? have we. Yeah. I, I've heard him advertise <laughs> yeah, it, but right, I don't yeah. know much about it. Explain what it is and tell me what you think. Well, we uh, none of us, I think Billy's the only yeah. one of us who I have purchased uh, Exodus, which is actually where he started. He started with Exodus and then went back to Genesis. I've purchased Exodus, but I haven't even, uh, on Audible, I haven't even uh, turned it on yet. So yeah. I haven't listened to it all yet. I think I think if I could, just knowing you know Dennis from um, you know, listening to him speak, I think that when he says the rational Bible, I think what he's doing is he's, he's basically saying that God is logical and that he's using... Um, logic to understand um, what what God was meaning. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. His I'm to, he's, he's not doing what Thomas Jefferson did and cutting out the parts he doesn't like, is he? No, no. I, I, and again, I might, I might be speaking out of turn here, but we know, most of us know Aesop's fables. And Aesop's fables, you know, it's these wonderful little stories, but the mm-hmm. idea is not getting caught in the detail of you know the the fox and the grapes. The, Foxes can't really talk, it, right? <laughs> the, the thing you're wanting to get out of it is what is the moral of the exactly. story. And I think that's right. kind of what he may. Yeah, I, be I going think he toward. advertises it as a commentary, as a so, commentary, right? Uh, but you know, I think that the part of the problem that, of course, Dennis is not a is not a follower of Messiah. But but you know, the scripture does tell us in the New Testament. It says uh, you know you're not able to understand these words because they are spiritually discerned, right? And if you're not spiritually alive and spiritually discerning them you can get some good stuff with your head but you're not going to get the the, the true intent of yep. what was being spoken I, and yeah, it's kind of what we were talking about that's what we think the premise behind that is this let's not get caught up in the weeds but let's take the moral of the stories and apply those to all of our lives but dis- disclaimer none of us has actually um, right. have, yeah. have actually read it yet but you no know, jesus said himself you know the words i speak to you are our spirit and life so you're going to have to get into the spirit to to understand them and you know what that's that's one of the reasons why I think that um, a lot of um, seminaries, I've heard a lot of people call seminaries, they call them cemeteries. Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Because, because men go there with great faith and great excitement, and they come out, many of them come out lacking faith, doubting their faith, because people get so heady 
with something so spiritual that they lose their way. Right. And uh, and all of a sudden now people say, well, did God really feed 5,000? Or was right. it more right. likely that, or well, do we really believe in miracles today anymore? No, we don't really believe in miracles today anymore. Or if you did see a miracle, well, you know, that's just, you know, a coincidence. Kind of, that's a coincidence. Yeah. And all of a sudden the God that created the world Measured the span of the, uni- the man spe- measured the universe in the span of his hand. Now can no longer do miracles. You have people being teaching. I was taught as I was growing up. Well, there's no more uh, prophecy. There's no more prophets anymore. There's no more. Don't you know? God doesn't heal anymore. God doesn't do that anymore. Really, since when did the Bible change right. that says I am the Lord? I change not. Right. Uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He is, then we're the ones who have a problem. We've so intellectualized this because of. Uh, doctrine. What does the scripture say? It says, it says it, it, it was a grieving thing because he says you teach for doctrine the commandments of men, and you've and you've left the teachings of of Messiah, and that's what we've done. We've got these now these man made doctrines, these man made commandments that actually pull out of the Bible their strength. I think it's Mark chapter seven. Chapter seven says this: You have made the word of God of none effect by your tradition, mm-hmm. and when you let the tradition of men come into the word of God. You'll zap it of its power, and you'll be left with black words on a white page and not have the impact of the supernatural God manifesting himself in a natural world the way he wants to manifest Amen. himself. I have gotten the impression that seminaries like secular colleges have become so infested with liberalism and secularism mm-hmm. that you're not as likely to come out of seminary right. with a, the level of, of commitment and level of... Uh, you would be surprised mm-hmm. the number of seminary teachers who are avowed atheists, which is another one of those positions that I simply don't understand. Yeah. It's like having a... There, there are places where you've got pastors who are avowed uh, atheists, and I don't understand that. Why? Or agnostics or... That, that just makes no sense. Yeah. Living in Europe, as I did for uh, most, of my, most of my life, these are people that want a job. Right. Really, and the yeah. government pays them a, a lot. Of the, a lot of them, the government takes tax for the churches, and you, you know, it's a it's a job that that uh, they take care of people and they counsel people and they, you know, what year was it that the that the seminaries stopped teaching Hebrew and Greek? Oh, and started teaching counseling. Oh, instead. that was in the nineteen twenties or thirties. Twenties. So they abandoned Hebrew to go for counseling, and when they started doing things like that, they began to water down their their ability to truly interpret and understand. Um, scriptures you know speaking of this i my this just happened last night my um i always think of her as a niece but uh it's my my wife's second cousin and so she's a um she's in her second year of university right now so she writes a text to loretta last night and she says cousin loretta and she said um they just announced she's going to a christian university they just announced that we are no longer allowed to say or call god father oh, yep he must it's be too sexist huh? he, he right. may be called you may call god a holy mother but you cannot call him father and they start she said they're changing songs now like there's a song out yep. called you're a good good father right yes you are well now the song is you're a good good parent that's what the, and she said help so political said, correctness run amok right so and this this is this is in the seminaries i think dave will even tell how when he was in seminary how some of these professors of his 
we're, we're trying to tell you, well, you know, yeah, this is what the Bible says, but do we really believe it? I mean, that was back when Dave was in school. We know he's right. ancient. <laughs> so if it was that way then, sorry, Dave, if it was that way then, what is it like uh, now? Yeah. Yeah. But you can go to the American Institute, and we don't do that, do we? We believe every word is important and every Correct. space between every word is important and Absolutely. valuable. So, um, we often tell people this is not a theological school. Mm-hmm. We do not – we don't really teach – what we believe, we teach you what it says, right? And the context, uh, culturally and linguistically and politically, and all the things that were surrounding what was going on, and it will help you understand the scriptures. But we don't tell you systematic theology in which it is that you need to really believe. Yeah, like most, if you come out of a Baptist school, you're going to know Baptist theology or Assembly of God. You're going to come out knowing Assembly of God theology. We just teach what the Word of God has to say. And we don't bring in systematic theology that didn't exist in the time of Jesus. How did first century people use, what did they do? How did, what did they, what was the methods they used to interpret Scripture? Because that should be the only thing that matters. There you go. But no, we've come up with these new ideas and new techniques. You take new techniques into an ancient text and you blow it apart. Yep. Good stuff. Next question. Next wait, question. I'm sorry. I'm not the question. The, I'm not, oh, we didn't answer the question. You didn't answer the question, which was, and where do they find the American Institute? Oh, <laughs> at the uh, AmericanInstitute.org. There right. you go. All right, next question. Is that all the question? I don't remember when okay. we started asking. Oh, it was a rational Bible. Yeah, yeah, it was a rational, rational Bible. Bible. Yeah. Uh, it's me again. This is Rachel. I was hoping you might be able to answer another couple of questions for me, please. How do I move forward from past relationships that were painful and somewhat abusive? Secondly, how long should I hold on to a prayer request once I have prayed it out? I mean, how long should I wait on an answer before accepting the fact that it must not be God's will? I see people healed in the Bible in the very self-same hour after Jesus prayed for them. So how do I translate that into my time? Good question. Yeah. It's so a very good question. Which one are we going to take first, Steve? What do you um, there was two of them. The uh, moving on uh, from past hurts and past relationships. It is kind of difficult. Um, because, um, as a matter of fact, I was praying about something on my way to work this morning, and hear people use this phrase, you just have to lay it before the Lord. And I literally just said, I said, tell me how that works. You know, I mean, I got it. I hear it. I've heard heard it prayed. I've had people say it. But how do you literally lay something before the Lord and walk away from it and really trust Him? And it's a, it is, it is a, a, a mental um, struggle to really just kind of lay those things but you really have to find out what were, what was going on in the relationship. And really, I think most of those struggles comes from um, your feeling of guilt in it. And, and that's such a personal thing. You can't really it, give it, a one-size-fits-all answer. And, it, and if it is abusive, what you have to understand first is it was not your fault. And once you get that understanding down, then it becomes easier to lay it before the Lord and to move on from it. Okay, how about the second part before we got to wrap up for a uh, last break of the show? The uh, second part, which was prayer. How long do we wait? How long does she wait to find out whether she's going to be healed for her prayers? Um, Daniel waited 21 days. Um, Abraham waited 25 years. It really comes down to those points where you have to wait on the Spirit of God to give you that sense of peace of knowing. Um, And that only comes through... Uh, experiences and spending time in prayer and walking with God 
uh, and counsel. You need to seek so your again, answer. There's really not any specific it, answer you, you really can give can't to a person give a, on that. A cookie cutter answer simply right. because they are all different. Well, let's go ahead and take our last break of the show so we got time when we come back to explore my question if we don't have too many more in the queue. Okay, uh, this it. is the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1, The Answer. Welcome back. Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave with Scott and Steve and Billy, the Bible guys. And uh, Billy, I think you had a question that you were going to give us the short version on. I did. Uh, Marty sent a question in, and the question was, um, can you, hang on, let me just get there. It says, can you believe in Christ enough to not have depression or not to take medication, or is that simply part of it? And I know you guys were discussing while I was on the phone, so I'll just let y'all run with that. How's that? Well, the, um, yes, but it really comes down to, um, we were talking about how there needs to be a level of discernment. Because sometimes there's a spiritual thing, uh, sometimes it's a chemical thing, and sometimes those things are a result of an emotional thing. Somebody is dealing with um, depression because, like the last question about, well, what if they came out of an abusive relationship, abusive childhood, and there are things that have caused some emotional trauma in their life. Some people, they have, just as somebody may um, be crippled in a wheelchair, you know, maybe born with spina bifida or something like that, and would take a real miracle of God to get them walking upright again uh is this, there's some people that could have that level of a physical chemical imbalance in their bodies and then other times it's spiritual uh, because we see as one translation says about the one guy that was throwing them on, on the self on the ground it, it, it called it epileptic seizures but they were spiritual but right. it, we would look at that and go oh well that's a <clears throat> medical term well no it was a spiritual manifestation of right. something and we so, know that because Jesus cast the spirit out and right. the seizure so stopped. It, that's why you got to have medical people with discernment of, of spiritual things, chemicals, physical, emotional. It's all of the above. And the answer is yes. We need to find out why. So pray, but take the pill the doctor tells you to. Yeah, if you're on, and on medication, or yeah. all of the above. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm mean, for myself, but quite honestly, just you know, I mean, if, if I have a if I have a headache and I find myself. To the point, or even any other kind of medication. If I'm in a place where I've, I've not yet experienced a full manifestation of healing in my body. I mean, if I'm taking cough medicine or an aspirin, I I lay hands on it and I I pray over it. Yep. I I pray over that thing before I even before I even take it. Right. Um, because if you ask most doctors, they'll they'll tell you very honestly. They'll say we can't heal anything. We can kill stuff in your body and we can cut stuff out, but to actually cause healing, right? We can't do that. It comes from within. Mm-hmm. So we, know we, we depend on God to, to bring about the uh, healing. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we should be seeing happening today mm-hmm. what we right. saw happen when he was here. But if you can go to church week after week, month after month, year after year, and never see anything happen in your midst that he did when he was here, you need to put a sign on the door that says, out of order, and go find yourself <laughs> right, a place right. that actually has a manifestation of God in it. And until we get to that place, I mean, what if Ravenhill, uh, Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, men will continue to live without revival as long as they are content to live without it. That's right. Right. So Interesting. Any other questions from uh, listeners that we want to tackle today? There was this one. Um, how did God repopulate the earth after the flood? The only people that were on the ark were Noah and his wife, three sons, and their wives. I understand that Shem, Ham, and Japheth could have children, but their children had no one to have children with, so they would have had to intermarry, and that would not have been acceptable by God. 
except for there was no commandment given yet. Right. We look at it today as unacceptable and creepy um, <laughs> because there's a commandment and our culture says so. Yeah, we right? have more choices nowadays. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but until the commandment came, as Paul talks about um, in the New Testament regarding sin, there was no commandment against uh, having those relations until God said at Sinai, hey, you can't be marrying your sister, your cousin, your mother's aunts, cousins, and brothers until he laid all that rules out. Uh, in Leviticus 19, there was no commandment against it. Right. And, and, and we see that all the way. Seth get his wife, right. Mm. right. We see that all the way down to um, Abraham and Sarah. They're, they're half siblings. Um, so obviously, um, it was not something that was creepy and weird right. um, in that environment. So. Um, and the gene pool was so strong, there wasn't any problem with right, mutations right. or anything like that. Don't don't think that our genes are getting stronger as we uh, as we continue in our generations. I am one hundred percent convinced the healthiest human beings that ever lived lived in a garden. So, right. Yeah, for sure. Well, so they certainly seem to have lived longer. Okay, yeah. let me ask one. Long as we've got just a couple minutes left sure. here, uh, I've been reading a book that my brother loaned me by Jonathan Kahn called The Harbinger. I know that at least some, probably all, you guys have read that. Uh, it's new to me. It's four years old, but it's new to me. I've just been reading it. And it, the basic premise for our uh, audience is that 9-11, echoing the ninth chapter of Isaiah, verse 20, and thereafter, shows that 9-11 was a wake-up call to the United States to go back to God, that we'd been getting too far away from God, and it was a call that we should turn back and that instead of turning back as the Israelites did, or I should say as the Judeans did in Jerusalem after the uh, devastation of their brethren to the north, they said that they were strong enough that they were going to be able to overcome this. And so then the economic collapse seven years later, he ties that in with the beginning and end of Shemitah. You're familiar with it, so I'll stop yeah. and let you tell me what you think about that book and its premise that 9-11 was a wake-up call to the United States for our um, moving away from God. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have the book in my library, um, and I believe I have the paradigm as well, which is um, somewhat similar to that. We have to be careful, uh, though I do believe in the basic overview, and that is 9-11 was a wake-up call, and seven years later, exactly, even to the minute, I think you brought up when we were talking about at the break, that there was a follow-up with an economic recession. It, it follows in line with the sabbatical, the Shemitah, as it's referred to, um, in which God was bringing a wake-up and a judgment to the people of Israel, and he's saying, hey, what's happening here sure does seem to parallel that. Right. What you cannot say is that those prophetic words apply to us specifically, but what uh, Rabbi Khan is doing is saying, hey, just as Israel was getting away from God, God was sending them calls um, to wake them up and try and bring them back to him. And I do believe that 9-11 and 2008 were that, and, but then people would say, well, hey, shouldn't something else have happened in 2015? Well, 2013, 14, and 15, there was these things about moons. Now, right. did the exact thing happen as it did the previous seven and then 14 years earlier? No. Maybe it's perhaps. Those were our warnings, and now we're living in that reprobate mind that Roman speaks about. Because if you go back and look how rapid our culture 
has accepted the immorality. Yeah. It has really come about in the last four to five years. Did we say in our own pride that we were going to overcome this? We're going we did. to we rebuild stronger we, than yeah. ever. We're going America. to. America. As, a, America. as a matter of fact, one of the interesting things that I think he doesn't point out until paradigm is that some of the words that are spoken there in Isaiah were specifically and exactly repeated by our leaders. Yep. In the that was kind of amazing. Yeah, that I was given stunned to read that. after nine eleven. Um, that were literally the the uh, stiff neckedness of the people who had come before. We literally repeated the word the words that they used when they said we will defy God and rebuild. We used the exact same. And words. amazingly, they had no idea they were no saying idea. those same words. No they weren't it, quoting it, anything. And, they and were just the saying the same them. period. We've had a lot of our politicians who used to purport to stand up for good Christian values right. mm-hmm. that all of a sudden have become enlightened and, and mm-hmm. people, well, I won't have to mention names, everybody knows the ones I'm talking yeah. about, that now all of a sudden they've embraced uh, unchristian attitudes and unchristian beliefs that were the opposite of what right. they said just a short time before. That's right. Well, look at how far we've come in five years. Five years ago, I think it was five years ago, that we declared that uh, everyone had to recognize um, gay marriage and this sort of thing. And five years later, here we are, we, we think there are a hundred sexes now. Um, how far have we have we slid in mm, such a short, short time. period of time? We went from being the Christian nation in the world, sending uh, evangelists uh, everywhere all over the world, missionaries everywhere all over the world, to we can't figure out what's um, the many sexes there are. Right. Right. <laughs> but but I, I just want to caution people that, yes, I, I believe there's a parallel, yes. but let's just make sure that we don't say, well, that's why it was written. Right. Yeah, that's not what that is. And you have to, but it's true. There are there are patterns and there are cycles in the scripture. There are parallels in the Bible, and we are meant to we are meant to search those things uh, search those things out. Right. The Bible is a lot better book than I think most people realize. Oh, so, amen to that, absolutely. brother. <laughs> yeah. And 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 do you think that that our failure to be awakened and come back closer to God again is setting us up for a impending disaster? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Amen. You put it succinctly. Thank you, Reverend Scott. What a delight to be with you today, Steve, Billy. Yes, sir. Man, this has been educational. Praise the Lord. I hope, you know, assuming that Dave gets his uh, vacation schedule back on track, (laughs) I, I may be in for a couple more Tuesdays, and I will sure look forward the opportunity to be with you guys again. Thank you for spreading uh, a little uh, enlightenment. I'm always glad any time that I can be part of anything that spreads the Bible to others. Amen. Uh, And uh, thanks to Dave, not only for letting me sit in on the show today, but thanks for Dave making you guys and making this Christian biblical teaching a regular part of the Dave Ellswick show. It's just one reason why I think this is the greatest radio show on in Little Rock today, and I'm just so proud to have been associated with it even briefly, and I will see you the next time I'm in for Dave. God bless all. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.